your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. It's a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN at 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, 16 days away from the opener for the Cardinals with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. 16 days. That Pounded sounds down. so sweet. It really does. And things are actually, for the Cardinals, getting better than getting worse. For some of the teams in baseball, things are not getting a whole lot better in terms of having their players on the field. I just read a story about the Dodgers who have seven different players that aren't in camp yet. And we know that the A's just held their first workout a couple of days ago. Well, yesterday, last night, the Cardinals were able to work out after Michelle, a delay in their testing. But at least they got it, right? Yeah, Randy, it was only, what, four days delayed? Yeah, they they were supposed to be on Saturday. But they got them. And uh, so the Cardinals were on the field last night. Still some players that are not on the field. Giovanni Gallegos has not been able to make it in from Mexico. Alex Reyes is not on the field yet. But John Mozeliak talked to us uh, in the media last night via the uh, Cardinals Zoom room and told us what's going on. You know, Major League Baseball understands the difficulty of these logistics. And, you know, we can spend a lot of time trying to decide who we want to blame and, and, and point fingers. But, um, you know, we learned from the last few days and, you know, hopefully we have more smooth sailing moving forward. I would say on a positive note um, that all our tests came back negative, which is good news. And among those testing negative was Carlos Martinez, who was back on the field last night. Good to see him out on the field, joining his teammates at Bush Stadium and the mask ready to go. But I want to circle back to John Mozalak for a second. How zen is Mo about this entire situation? I respect his attitude because I think I would crack open that mic in the Zoom room and let it rip. I would be so frustrated if I was him. I think the major criticism that Mo gets is that he's too patient. Mm -hmm. And his patience and his demeanor is really a great guiding force for the organization through all this. Because I'm like you. I would go bananas and I'd be calling Rob Manfred, cursing him out. Big time. And Mo is able to use his attitude, which is perfect for a, a situation like this. And hey, you can't worry about what you can't control. Exactly. And while it might feel good in the moment to express that frustration and while those feelings are completely valid given mm-hmm. the situation that they're dealing with and all these protocols and these testing uh, regimens that are out of their control that Major League Baseball has put this construct in, 
it's not going to benefit every anyone for him to act that way. If he gets angry, then the players are going to get angry. And if he and Mike Schilt maintain that calm attitude and that that Zen mentality of, hey, this is out of our control, but we're going to do whatever we can to control the situation that we can. And when we get the results, we're going to go out there and practice and everything's going to be okay. That's got to be calming for the players to know that the, the people in power around them aren't yeah. freaking out about stuff like this. And poor Carlos was here in town for the duration of those first few workouts and just kind of chilling at home with nothing to do. And I, I wondered if maybe he had been set back by the three or four days off. And most said it's too early to determine whether or not he has been set back. To, to try to answer the Carlos question, you know, two hours after he reported is probably a bit unfair because I don't know exactly where he is physically. I don't know um, how far he's stretched out. But in, in, in terms of, of who may close if, if Carlos is in the rotation, I think it's a fair question, a good question. I think you know, we have time to determine that. But we certainly feel like we have some horsepower down there with guys like Helsley, somebody like a Gallegos who threw very well for us last year. So I, I think when you look at sort of the combination of what we have, I think we're going to be able to answer that question. But I, I think, you know, before you have to answer that, you're going to have to understand what those five starters look like as well. He's absolutely right. They still have time and need the time to figure out what they have at, from a starting standpoint. And they have options if they want to close. They could do a closer by committee. But to have Carlos Martinez, who is such an important X factor this season, because you can use him in a variety of roles, finally be on the field and for Mo and company and, and Mike Schilt to be able to assess him, see where he's at physically, and determine where he is. Once you determine where Carlos is, is going to make a lot of other decisions for you. I'm a big believer in a guy getting the 27th out previously and knowing that the guy can be a closer. And I know Carlos Martinez can be a good closer. In the absence of Jordan Hicks, and because of the fact that the Cardinals have Kim to be a starter, my preference as a fan would be to see Martinez as a closer. Now, I understand there's a difference between Carlos Martinez working up and being able to give you four or five innings as your number two starter in the playoffs. But what good does four or five innings do you from any starter in the playoffs if your guy in the ninth inning is going to blow it? And if you don't know, we know Giovanni Gallegos is great in the eighth inning, mm -hmm. but we knew Mitchell Boggs was great in the eighth inning too, and look what happened to him as a closer. Sure. Uh, we don't know about Helsley as a closer. He's been a starter for most of his minor league career. Because they don't have Jordan Hicks, I really think they should go with the known quantity, quantity down there in the ninth inning. I, I get that line of thinking, but I also have seen Carlos when he's right as a starter and I know what he can give you when he's right as a starter. And if he has been training that way and taking this seriously, as he has said and the Cardinals have said, why wouldn't you want that weapon in that position? Well, and his... He was probably more responsible this offseason and during the pandemic than he's ever been. Mm -hmm. Sending Mike Maddox videos of his workouts and his uh, pitching to, to live hitters. So that part of it is something that the Cardinals absolutely have to consider. Is If you're going to pitch him in the ninth inning and you're going to say, look, we need you in the ninth inning if we're going to win, he has to be on board with it. I don't dispute that at all. And do you think that he would be? 
I, I know that he's a team. Hey, team first, team first. I know that that would be the response from him mm-hmm. if he was put in that role. But you know deep down that he would probably be bummed out and there would be a certain part of him that was really looking forward to this opportunity. I think you give him the choice. Say, hey, I can always put Kim down at closer. I don't know what he can do as the closer, but I know he's got good stuff. So I can put him down there or Helsley or Gallegos. So I would give... Carlos, the the option. I'd say, Carlos, I know that you can do the job for me both as a starter or as a closer. My opinion is, I think you give us the best opportunity to be a great team if you close. But I'm going to. I also respect that you spent the entire offseason preparing to start, and I'm going to defer to you on this one. I, I want you to fe- do what you feel like you can help us as a team most doing. Isn't it ironic that you're, we're talking about the fact that Carlos has done it before he's been a closer before, therefore he knows mentally what it takes, mm-hmm. so that gives you confidence that he can do it, but then we're talking about it, couching it from a mental standpoint, if he would want to do it or not. Right. It, it's, it's a tricky, it's tricky a situation. It is. And I don't wonder if, yes, you're right, those... To, to be a closer, you have to go into a high-pressure pressure situation a lot of times. They always say getting the ball for those last three outs is a different animal. I wonder how, how it's going to be, though, without fans, without, without tens of thousands of eyes on you and the feel of the crowd and the pressure you might feel in that moment. Yes, you certainly still have to close out a game, but the environment around you is going to be so different. So I don't wonder if it might be... Um, not easier, but less stressful for a closer in this specific 60-game situation. I would think that that'll be the case, and that's a great point that I hadn't even put into perspective. Meanwhile, the Cardinals did add Zach Thompson and Rob Kaminsky to their list of players that are performing here in St. Louis. That's because they have a couple of guys that have not yet made it to St. Louis, and the Cardinals also... Uh, have Junior Fernandez in camp. He tested negative, so he's available now for the Cardinals. So hopefully, with as much pitching as is on hand now, the Cardinals can settle that situation down. So, Mo, do you have enough offense to win this division? You know, we certainly like our roster when we were going into spring training, liked what we were seeing when we were in spring training 1.0. And, you know, we've been at spring training 2.0, and I would say it's a little early to make any major decisions or or, um, conclusions based on what we've seen. But we have two and a half weeks to prepare for uh, opening day, and we'll try to make the most of it. I think they need to make offense. And the Cardinals did a great job last year of manufacturing runs. I believe that this will be a sport where they're going to have to do more of that this year. I refuse to believe that the ball is going to be as juiced as it was last year. They had to take some juice off of it. And the way the Cardinals play, if they can not strike out, is going to benefit them with the type of pitching that they have. They should be able to win a lot of this is in an ideal situation. I'm not saying they're going to do this, but in an ideal situation, if their pitching is what they think and I think it is, mm-hmm. they should be able to win a lot of 3-2-2-1 games. But if your offense isn't what you're anticipating it to be and you're saying you can win a lot of close then games. Then you're going to lose a lot of 2-1 one, and 1 nothing games. <laughs> but that also makes your closer that much more valuable it's, for you. Yeah, it sure does. <laughs> right. Yeah, we, we swing back to that. You know? That's exactly right. So if you're coming into a situation where you're feeling better about your offense than you did last season, but you certainly need to see it in motion, you need to see it consistently mm-hmm. in action, uh, I would defer to, hey, it might not be to the place we want it to be. So if we're going to be in close game situations, my closer is that much more valuable to me. There is a yogiism that is going to apply this year more than it ever has. 
it gets late early. And with Summer Camp 2020, brought to you by Camping World, it's going to happen in a hurry. Like we said, only 16 days left before the, the opener. And when you only have 60 games... You better figure out pretty quickly who that ninth inning got, person is and make sure that that's locked down, that your ninth inning is locked down, especially with as many close games as you figure you're going to be playing. I do not envy across the landscape of baseball, the coaching staffs, the front offices that are having to deal with delayed tests. They're, they don't have their entire rosters put together and they have 16 days to figure out what physical condition everyone is in and how they want to put together this team in this sort of a format. And players across baseball are concerned about their health. When they go out and take the field, it's not just here in St. Louis, but if you look around baseball, it's amazing and not surprising how many players are bothered by and concerned by what's going on. And they should be. The reason that I say it's amazing is because, like I said, I've said a couple of times, you would have thought that this would have been the first thing that baseball nailed down is, okay, our testing is good. Now we're good to go. Not, let's get out on the field and then make sure that our testing is all done. But I, I place blame with both parties because both parties were the ones that put money over the health right. and safety. They valued the wrong thing, and now they're in the middle, they're in the eye of the storm, and they realized, hey, maybe we should have spent a fraction of the time that we spent arguing about money, ironing out all of this stuff and and making sure it was ready to go. It almost felt like the health and safety stuff was an afterthought. Right. And it should have never been that way. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And this is Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Patrick Mahomes of the Chiefs has a new $503 million contract. We want to hear from you. And we're going to give you some rules at the beginning of the segment. But think about this. What would you buy with half a billion dollars? We're going to have rules. And we want to hear from you next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A couple of days ago, we got word that Patrick Mahomes of the Chiefs has signed a new contract, $503 million over 10 years. And if he gets it all, he'll have more, obviously, than $500 million, more than half a billion dollars. And CBSSports.com yesterday put together a list of things that Patrick Mahomes could buy with $503 million, and those include Arrowhead Stadium, his home stadium. Uh, he could buy a nearly 40% share of the Buffalo Bills. Wow. He plays against them, so why not buy part of them? If he owns them on the field, he might as well own them off, right? Yeah. <laughs> he could buy one of 12 different NHL teams, a dozen NHL franchises valued at or below $500 million. He could buy... Uh, Several fast food chains. He loves ketchup. Yeah. And so he would be able to buy his own McDonald's or Wendy's or Burger King uh, franchises. 109 years of home game beers for the entire crowd at Arrowhead Stadium. What a flex that would be. That would be big time. Big 109 time. years and everybody in the crowd gets uh, beers. He could buy uh, 5 million Patrick Mahomes jerseys if he wanted to provide those for his friends. 83.8 million hot dogs at Arrowhead Stadium. That's, that's a lot of That seems dogs. like a waste. Uh, 50 yard line Chiefs season tickets for the next 2,208 years. Take it or leave it. The Chiefs aren't in existence that long. I will take that. Yep. So we want to know what you would buy with $500 million. And here are the parameters. Whatever you want to buy or whatever, whatever portion of something you want to buy, uh, the person that has it has to sell it to you. 
and you have to spend the entire $500 million. So Michelle and I have put together some items that we would buy with $500 million. For example, Michelle, back in 1999, Clint Eastwood and Arnold Palmer led a group that bought Pebble Beach Golf Links for $850 million. And right now, the estate of Arnold Palmer and Clint Eastwood still own Pebble Beach. I would buy a $500 million portion of Pebble Beach Golf Links so that I could play there whenever I wanted. That seems like a good investment. Then you should probably also invest in a plane so that you could get there whenever you want. Yeah, so maybe I could spend uh, $475 million and then get a $25 million plane. I could do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Or you or you could go in on part of a plane, like a timeshare plane. Or just of a do plane. net jets. Maybe I could maybe with my uh, association with Pebble Beach I could just get a net jet sub- a free subscription. Or wheels up? Yep, one of those. You're always seeing wheels up being promoted. I'm sure that you could say to them, <laughs> Hey, let's make a barter here. I'll let you yeah. golf here as much as you want, but you get me some free plane vouchers, all right? So there's an example, six five seven eight oh, or you can use the mic drop feature and we'd love to hear your voice with the Rhino Shield mic drop. Just download the free one oh one ESPN app and we'd love to hear from you with either the mic drop or the uh text line, the air comfort service text line, six five seven eight oh. Michelle, what do you have? So I didn't want to do one big, huge purchase like you did. I do have one big ticket item, but then I thought, okay, I'm going to break this out over a couple different things. I was reading the article, and I love the idea of buying a stadium, but instead of buying it, why not just get the naming rights, right? And I thought, if I could own any stadium, what would I like to own, or what would I like to be called the Smallman Dome, or, you know, Smallman Hall, something like that? And it's got to be at the University of Illinois, and, you know... They do have naming rights available at at their school. Well, I looked it up, and what was known as Assembly Hall is now State Farm Center, and that was a $60 million donation over 30 years. So I thought, okay, I'll just up that to about $100 million, and I'll say, all right, give me Assembly Hall slash State Farm Center. We're going to name it Smallman something, something cool, but with my last name, and I want the College of Media. The small, oh, the Michelle nice. Smallman College of Media. I like that. And we're going to deck it out with all brand new equipment, et cetera. And so that's about $100 million. And that's something that other people can enjoy forever, or right. at least for at least 30 to 50 years, right? Yeah. So that's $100 million. Then I thought, okay, I want to give some gifts here. So I thought, all right, my mom's from New Jersey. We, we don't get to see her family as much as I would like. I'm buying a huge shore house in New Jersey, roughly $2 million for our family. So we're sharing a plane. We're sharing a plane. Absolutely, Randy. And don't worry, you're on this list. I thought, okay, my dad, not a big gift guy, but he is a big experience guy. We're going to go to the Masters as much as I can. So I looked it up, and for a prime package, it's about eight to $10,000 for all four days. So you do that for about five years, that's $100,000. Easy. Easy. And for at least five years, your daughter of the year. You don't even have to worry about right. any other gift. You don't have to worry about any other situation. Just, hey. Let's just wait for the Masters. You know that we've got everything set up. Mm-hmm. It's going to be awesome. And then I thought, okay, well, I have to do something for Randy. What could I get, Randy? You already have the golf taken care of on your end. I thought, you know, I'm going to give Randy something very interesting. For about a million dollars, Randy, I decided that I'm going to put together a fleet of trolls on your behalf <laughs> that you can use to torment Stan Kroenke. I like this. Thank you. It might be more than a million dollars. Maybe we'll say $10 million. But... You can fly planes over the stadium with any sort of banner that you'd like. People that will that consistently will show up to the stadium, perhaps with signs, whatever you want, Randy. You can deploy them at your discretion. Whatever you want to do with these trolls, 
towards Dan Kroenke, towards the Rams. I just thought that would be something that you don't have to personally do, but you can kind of have a middleman be involved. Okay, so they have to sell, and we can spend. <laughs> so here's what I'm thinking, Michelle, is SoFi is going out of business anyway. They're in bankruptcy or headed towards bankruptcy. Okay. How about Kroenke Sucks Stadium? How much do you think that would cost? I'm going to use, well, they're paying, what, 8 or $10 million a year. So we can get a 30-year deal for you know, two two hundred and fifty, three hundred million. We can we can get a discount there. Mm. Welcome to Cronky Sucks Stadium. You know what we'll say? We'll mm. call it on in the legal documents KS Carriker and Smallman. But then when it's unveiled, uh-huh. it says Cronky Sucks KS. I love that. Okay, beautiful. And the other thing that I would buy if I had five hundred million is twenty two point seven percent of the Cardinals, and the Dewitt family would have to sell to me, and I wouldn't have any voting rights. I wouldn't have any. I wouldn't be in charge. But the one thing I could get is great tickets all the time to bring all my friends. So, I, and then I could say, yeah, I own twenty two point seven percent of this franchise, and that's a huge flex, big time. Yeah, and I'm sure while you didn't have voting rights, that if you own twenty two almost 23% of the Cardinals, that Mr. Joyce is going to take your phone calls and listen oh, to yeah. trade options that you like. Yeah. Even if he hates him, he's going to listen. He's going to listen. So, we've got Tech 65780. I would get Super Bowl tickets. This is from the 314 because that seems to be about how much they are. That's true. Good point. <laughs> Super Bowl rings for season ticket holders for all Super Bowls uh, he wins. How about that? Uh, here's one from the 314. I would buy my own golf courses. Multiple. No more waiting for tee times or stuck behind slow players. That would, see, and that would be one of the cool things about having Pebble Beach is you could have that golf course. Not that it wouldn't be great to have the golf courses here in St. Louis. Multiples would be nice. So what is the play if you're a part owner of Pebble Beach and you're stuck behind someone who is slow as molasses? Because you want to respect the course, and you want to respect the rules, and yeah. you want to respect the other patrons there. But if you're the owner, what do you do? What you do is you say, uh, folks, can I play through, please? And if they say no, you say, I'm playing through. <laughs> I own the course. You know what I would say? I'd be like, how about I play through, and then I pick up your round, because I, I own oh, this place. That's nice. See? You're using your money for good rather than evil. Yeah, I looked into how much it would be to build a school like LeBron James, and uh-huh. that cost him about $8 million a year. And I thought for $10 million, I could build a great a great school, and that would help a lot of that people, That would be too. awesome. That's very, very nice. How about uh, this one? From the 636, I'd buy an island and a float plane. We'll be COVID-free. Oh, Great call. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I didn't even think about life in times of a pandemic and the things that you might <laughs> right. want to invest in now. And stay away from. And right. stay away from. How about this one uh, from the 309? And this is impressive, especially if you can dispose of them the way they're supposed to be disposed of. I would buy 500 million McChickens from McDonald's. Wow. I have not had a McChicken in many, many moons, but... My recollection is that the uh, McChicken was a fine piece of food. I have never had a McChicken, Hmm. um, but I'm going to take your word on it. You know, I thought Hmm. about that the other day. We were talking about great fries. I haven't been to McDonald's in like 10 years. It's been a long time for me, too. You know? So I, I, and it's not not something I do. We were talking before we came on the air about uh, 30 days providing you an opportunity to break a habit or, or make a habit. And that's one of them. I'm just not a fast food guy anymore. No. And if I'm going to go get a burger and fries, I typically go 
somewhere else, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not a, oh, I'll drive through McDonald's. No disrespect to McDonald's. It's just not a habit of mine anymore. Here are a couple of other texts via the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Uh, From the 636, Randy can only fly to Pebble Beach on the traffic jet copter. And we've kind of grounded that here in the morning show because we haven't had a lot of traffic. But here, we'll give you just a quick look here. As we move up in uh, Jet Copter 2, we look at Olive East and Westbound in Creve Corn. It looks wide open for you. If you need to make a trip to the grocery store, maybe you need to go to uh, Jaguar of St. Louis, or maybe you just want to drop something by here at the 101 ESPN Studios. Uh, Olive Street Road or Olive Boulevard in Creve Corn, crystal clear east and westbound. I'm Captain Randy Carricker in the 101 ESPN Jet Copter 2. That so, can get us out to Pebble Beach. You know what? That is the first appearance of the Jet Copter. On Carragher and Smallman. It is. Wow. Yeah. It only and, it only took a month and a half. Yeah, there's no traffic. <laughs> but you still you still need to get that bird's eye view of what's going oh, on. Oh, yeah, we got to see. I, mean? and, uh, I, I would have made it down to, I guess, in the Central West End, they've got a, a sinkhole to this morning, and a, somebody drove into it with their pickup oh, truck. Oh, no. Yeah. They had to take it out with a crane. It's a big deal. That's a bad morning. <laughs> I've had better mornings than this. And think about it. You probably had coffee spill all over you. Drive to, oh, you're stuck right. in a sinkhole. You're late for work. That is a bad, bad not, morning. Not great. I like this one from the uh, 434. I'd buy a taco restaurant so could I can have Taco Tuesday seven days a week. I like that a lot. And I, when you have $500 million in your own taco restaurant, you can have Taco Tuesday any day you please. I also would pay off the patent company so that I could own Taco Tuesday and I would troll LeBron big time. Taco Tuesday. I still can't believe he tried to trademark that. Yeah, that's pretty. You did pretty, not invent Taco Tuesday. No, you did not. A couple of other fun texts for you, and we do appreciate them, to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. I would buy 100 acres and then build a house for immediate family members with geothermal and solar technology and farm and live off the land. I would disappear. He he would go off the grid. One of the best vacations I've ever been on, Randy, is when I went to Montana, and I truly Mm -hmm. felt like I was off the grid. I had no cell service. You're in the middle of nowhere. You're driving, and you see a house, and then you drive 15 minutes, and then you see another one. You're truly isolated out there, and it was amazing. Um, In today's world, you've—I mean, not so much anymore, but especially pre-pandemic, it just— Felt like it was go, 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 go. Everybody was inundated with stuff all the time. So I completely co-sign with that. That would be so nice to just have everything you need, all of your family, and one beautiful place and where, where you could kind of just do whatever you want. And you didn't have to worry about the rigors of everyday life. Yeah, that that would be cool. Maybe that's why Stan owns so much of Montana, too. He's got a lot of... No, I think he just... He's got likes, more than $500 million. He, I think he just as, um, approaches life, Randy, like the game of Monopoly. I don't think he cares about nature or escaping. I think he just says, oh, this is for sale. I have the money. I'm going to buy it. That's the approach. Yeah. So like when you want to have a $5 billion stadium. Yeah. He'll probably take that beautiful land, Randy, and bulldoze a mountain and put a Walmart there. Yeah, probably. And one more text. And this is from the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. I would buy the Cubs and make them suck. Oh, that's awesome. That's a good idea. But then you'd be, you know, at some you, point. You wouldn't because people keep coming. Yeah, that's true. The the stadium is the star. They were coming when they sucked, so they'll they will. Stadium is not so much of a star anymore. No, it's not. By that the way, dimmed. I would think that if you would buy the Cubs, even if you made them suck, but made people think that you didn't want them to suck, that you would be more popular than Ricketts. 
Like if you just you could spend money on bad players and say well, we're trying, but I I think that rather than you taking that approach, rather than saying we've we're suffering suffering biblical losses, mm-hmm. I think you'd be more popular than Ricketts. Yeah, I think that the you know kind of helpless, completely useless by September crowd. Mm-hmm. Would be like, oh, this is a comfortable feeling. Yeah. We remember what it was like to suck. And we like it because we don't know what to do when we win. No, I truly think they don't. No. This is our one one year old golden goes out and chases rabbits in the backyard and they always run under the fence. This is that golden catching the rabbit. And well now what do I do? Right. That's the problem that they have. It's difficult. It's and by the way, it's it's difficult having eleven world championships too because you're expecting the twelfth every year, and if it doesn't happen for a couple of years, it kind of gets bothersome. But hey, you know what? At least every single person that's turned twenty five since nineteen hundred in St. Louis has experienced a world championship. If you were born in nineteen hundred twenty five. Uh, 50, whatever year you were born, in the, within 25 years, every person who turned 25 in St. Louis experienced a world championship. So that's a pretty good thing. It is. And think about the fact that the Cardinals last won in 2011 and how frustrated we are here. Yeah. Think about the success that they've had since then, just in totality, and how many other franchises would sign up for that in oh, a heartbeat man. and how we consider to be a failure. Because right. they've had opportunities to win and haven't capitalized. Yeah, because we just all we do is go to the playoffs every year. <laughs> Coming up next in uh, Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN, could football be headed the way baseball was? Could there be a major dispute that would perhaps delay any season for the National Football League? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle, the NFL might be having some issues in regards to getting their season started. Yesterday, the president of the NFLPA, the player president, J.C. Treader of the Browns, wrote a blog post and said that the league is, quote, unwilling to prioritize player safety and believes that the virus will bend to football. I want to get to that in a moment. Uh, the blog post also discussed the issue of... Uh, what the owners are thinking, Treader wrote that the NFL and the NFLPA's joint coronavirus task force agreed to a 48-day training camp without preseason games. Partially in resp- response to the surge of Achilles tendon and hamstring injuries that occurred the season after the 2011 lockout, similarly wiped out the off-season program. No off-season program this year. I do believe that the NFL owners think, led by Jerry Jones, that they are the most powerful entity in America. And in their dealings with the government, they've been given no reason to believe otherwise. So I'm sure that they think that, well, we can control this virus. The NFL thinking that they're untouchable and that they can control any situation. Randy, no, come on, please. (laughs) That is so out of character for them. It really is. Um, Yes, I'm sure that the owners think that they can manifest a season in any way possible and that the the NFL can can do whatever they want. They think the virus, Randy, cannot penetrate the shield. That's what they're thinking. Exactly. That we'll figure it out in some way. And if I'm a player, I'm looking at what's happening with these other sports and how you're having a lot of people test positive. And I'm certainly asking a lot of questions and I'm wanting to make sure that the protocol and the structure of the season is in place to best 
protect the players because it's not like baseball where you can be apart from one another and still be able to get your training done in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways. In football, you're going to have to be lined up right next to each other. You're going to have to be touching a ball. You're going to have to be breathing the same space. There's spit. There's sweat flying everywhere. The chances of you encountering someone with the virus and contracting it is much bigger in a situation like that than it would be in a sport like baseball. So they definitely have to make sure that everything is buttoned up. And Treader appears to want everything buttoned up. He wrote... We don't want to merely return to work and have the season shut down before we even get started. The NFLPA will do its part to advocate for player safety. We will continue to hold the NFL accountable and demand that the league use data, science, and the recommendations of its own medical experts to make decisions. It has been clear for months that we need to find a way to fit football inside the world of coronavirus. Making decisions outside that lens is both dangerous and irresponsible. But historically, NFL owners and it's logical on their part, but they have looked at players. Look at the situation with concussions. Mm -hmm. They look at players as commodities. They don't look at them as human beings. They're entities that can be replaced. And for that reason, I I think that Treader and the NFLPA are probably fighting a losing battle because ultimately the NFL is going to say, well, I'll just replace you. And ultimately, if the players don't capitulate, they will. Unless it's a a group of the star players that get together and they say, hey, we're not playing unless we get X, Y, Z. And how did the NFL owner or NFL players get the league to finally uh, acquiesce to the idea that Black Lives Matter? It was a group of star players that got together. And that you're right. That's exactly what's going to have to happen. It can't be J.C. Treader on the part of the union. It's got to be Patrick Mahomes. It's got to be Drew Brees. It's got to be Tom Brady. It's got to be the Adrian Peterson, the big stars from the league getting together. And I don't know if you're going to get all of those players wanting to do this. I mean, Tom Brady is going about life not as normal, but he's doing his, mm. his group workouts and uh, he's catching heat from a lot of different people saying, hey, is that the best example? Is this the safest way to do things? And he's like, I'm getting ready for the season. I'm going to do what I want to do. So to get all these star players on the same page and have them approach the NFL, I think is going to be a tricky thing to accomplish. Yeah, it's going to be prohibitive for them for two reasons. Number one, uh, like you said, at their core, they're competitive. But the other thing is, You look at Breeze and Brady, they're on their last legs of NFL careers, and they're making a lot of money in the last years of an NFL career. If you're Breeze or Brady, do you want to risk in any way, shape, or form your last year or years in the NFL because of a pandemic that clearly some of them don't worry about already? Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't seem like that's. My point is, money is a greater motivator than health for many of these guys. Money, legacy, winning. It seems like if, well, but don't you think, I mean, no disrespect to people that play football, but don't you think that when you sign up to play professional football, you're in some way signing away, living a healthy life? Right. Period. Even it's a very violent game. You you don't walk, you don't have a, a successful NFL career and walk away the beacon of health. You just don't. Credit to Chris Borland who the rookie linebacker after his rookie year for the 49ers walked away because he was concerned. But think of how intelligent our friend Chris Long is. And he grew up watching his dad trying to get out of bed mm-hmm. on Monday mornings. And he did it himself. And the things that we know that he did to stay on the field, that the Rams wanted him to do to stay on the field. And it does come from that 
core belief. It's just it's who they are is they, they want to get out there and play football and compete, right? And, and even for the smartest guys, it's hard for them to say no. And I think even, even during a pandemic. Even during a pandemic. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Take it or leave it. Plus, some of your mic drops coming up in the 8 o'clock segment here on 101 ESPN. What would you do with a half a billion dollars like Patrick Mahomes is trying to spend? That's coming your way at 8 here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Tanner Hendrickson is our producer and engineer, and he comes up with these fine questions to get us started. And then you have to participate by sending your Teolis into the Air Comfort Service text line. So we do want this to be an interactive show. Tanner, get things started. What do you got for us? Take It or Leave It. The NHL and NBA champs will have an asterisk by their name since their season was paused this year, while on the other hand, MLB champs won't since they are going to be starting their season. I'm going to leave that, Michelle, because there actually have been seasons where the NHL, heck, the NHL had a 48-game season a couple of years ago, what, seven years ago when the Hawks won, and there's not an asterisk next to it. They played more games this year than they did that year. Same thing has happened with the NBA. They played a 50-game <laughs> regular season, and they played more this season. So I don't believe there should or will be an asterisk next to the NHL or the NBA. That being said, I think if any sport is going to put an asterisk next to a season, and I don't think they should, but I think if any sport logically would have one, it would be baseball. I agree. With the NBA and the NHL, not only have they played the majority of their seasons, but think about the momentum that you get heading into the postseason, the rhythm you get in with your team. I think having that disrupted, that that stop in place, having your teammates get sick, having to essentially you know, deal with all of these elements that they were not anticipating. I think for those two sports, whoever walks away, the eventual champions, instead of an asterisk, they should have an exclamation point yeah. next to their name. Yeah, a star. A gold star. star. A gold star. Because I think this is going to be the most difficult situation any of these athletes have been put in. And think about hockey. Think about, you know, the rigors that the Stanley Cup playoffs put you through and you I mean you and I have been talking about what it's like to get back into working out and stuff and I know these are professional athletes but think about being put in that intense playoff environment and not having the build up Mm -hmm. to that and when we talk about the intensity of the Stanley Cup playoffs if a team that's not a top four seed wins the cup they'll have to do it by winning five series not an easy easy feat to do no from the 618, take it or leave it, Pete Rose will make it into the Hall of Fame one day. I would love to take that because I, I think he should. I, I'm in the camp of this has gone on long enough. I agree, I but I'm going to leave it that he will. I think he should, but I'm going to leave it that he will. I don't think the Hall of Fame will ever allow him on the ballot. And it's not as much because of the crime. It's because of the lack of recognition on his part that the the rule was broken by him for such a long time. Mm-hmm. He just he didn't come out soon enough and express remorse. 
If it would have happened in the first four or five years, I think, yes. But then after 25 years or whatever to say, yeah, I lied. I don't think that that is something that the MLB, pro, the Hall of Fame, is going to allow him to get in the Hall of Fame because of. And I think that that's the wrong approach. I do too. I think that you should look, does the punishment fit the crime? And not, oh, did he give the contrition that we deem worthy enough to then allow it? You know, I, yeah. I think that that's too much of a, a murky caveat. And the problem is now would be that the time has passed for him to be voted in by the writers. So he'd have to go to an old timers committee. And those old timers are pretty staunch about that gambling rule. Big time. Take it or leave it by the halfway point of this baseball season. The Cardinals will have a full time DH. As I'm leave it. One person that's yeah. consistently filling that role. I think I'm pretty sure Schilty's going to rotate, and O'Neill, Lane Thomas, they want to get at bats for those outfielders, and I have to believe that there are going to be times where Marp is going to DH rather than play third, and Edmund will step in at third. I would guess that we'll probably have a pretty varied group. Ron Hell Ravello might get some at bats at DH. I don't think that they will all season long have a singular DH. Yeah, I'm going to leave it as well. I think that you're going to see Schilt mix and match a lot of things. And we talk about this being a sprint. Some of those guys are going to need a breather at at some point. He's going to make sure that nobody is too exhausted. And so I would not be surprised if we see a rotation there. Take it or leave it. Jason Kidd will be the next head coach of the New York Knicks. Mm. I'm going to leave it, and I I understand what they're thinking, although there is a dispute as to whether or not Giannis really loves Kidd as much as people would like to believe. Giannis said great things about Kidd when he was fired in Milwaukee, but apparently he's just an incredibly loyal guy, and whoever the coach would have been, Giannis would have said, yeah, I really like him, and he would have called up and said, hey, is there anything I can do? That's the primary reason that the Knicks want Jason Kidd is so that they can pursue Giannis. But at the end of the day, Leon Rose once represented Tom Thibodeau. Thibodeau has been able to succeed with lesser talent. Remember how much he won with Derrick Rose Hurt in Chicago? And he coaches defense, and I think that's what they need with the Knicks right now is somebody who can win with less. And I would guess that Tibbs is probably going to be their guy. I'm going to take it. Even though Tibbs is probably the better choice, that's not what the Knicks do. They're not <laughs> they're, they're not going to take what would be the coach that actually could construct the team in the way they need to. James Dolan is going to say, oh, Jason Kidd is the link to Giannis. Do whatever it takes to get him. And then in classic Knicks fashion, they'll, prob- fashion, they'll probably get Jason Kidd. And then Giannis will say, hmm. I'm good. Love you, Jason, but not going to be the play for me. Then they'll sign $5 million free agents to one-year contracts. Because if you're a star player, even if you loved the coach, even if if you had such a great connection with Jason Kidd or Tibbs or whomever the coach may be, why would you want to go play for that guy? And if you're an agent and you know the history, and I'm sure a lot of agents respect Leon Rose, but if they're going to pursue free agents in New York— you're going to say, well, Dolan ran over Phil Jackson. Totally. Who's iconic. Totally. If, if he's going to run over Phil Jackson, uh, granted, this guy was LeBron's agent, but he's going to run over this guy too. If He's going to, James Dolan is going to mess things up. He will find a way to mess it up. Take it or leave it. Rock and roll music is the best genre of music to listen to to help you wake up in the morning. Hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's... I can't imagine that there's another 
genre that would allow, that would cause you to open your eyes? I'm leaving it. I'm going techno. I'm going rap. If you need to wake up, we need straight. Okay. The day is starting. Uh, we are in the wake club. You up. We are in the club. So as you know, I'm not uh, a huge, uh, uh, I have a limited scope in my, because I'm inspired by very few people. Mm-hmm. So my, my rap fandom is limited. And uh, so I get in my son's car to move, move it the other day, pull it out of the garage for whatever reason. And it's blanker, 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 blanker. Yeah, it did wake me up. There's no doubt about it. And imagine, really Randy, loud. if you're in, you know, just a beautiful sleep, you're dreaming about something great, and then boom, that's the first thing you hear to wake you up in the morning. You're getting out of bed. Yeah, you are. You're right. Either either because you're pumped up or you want to turn it off. Now, if you want to stay asleep, is it smooth jazz? Oh, it's classical all classical the way. Classical all the way. Yeah, that's sleepy music. A little right. nocturne, Chopin. 100%. Uh-huh. Lull you to sleep. I actually have, uh, I, I don't think I have any classical music on my phone or on my iPod, but I do have some old uh, classical CDs, Beethoven and stuff. I do. I don't think I've ever listened to them. I might have got them for a dollar a piece, but I have them. Do you still have a CD player? Yeah, I have a CD player in my car. Well, it's a Blu-ray player, but it plays music. Yeah. When's the last time you opened up a case and took out a CD and put a CD in a CD player? Christmas. Really? I've got a huge array of Christmas CDs, tons of them. Inter- Do you watch DVDs? Blu-rays. Blu-rays are so much better. The the picture and sound quality is so much better than streaming, and I appreciate that. So, yeah, I, I'm actually, I still have a DVD.com subscription, so I always have a Blu-ray at home. Wow. Yeah. From the 636, take it or leave it if Pete Rose gets into the Hall of Fame, Shoeless Joe Jackson does as well. I think that's a logical step to take because there's less evidence that Shoeless Joe Jackson threw games than there is evidence that P. Rose. So logically, you would have to say, yeah, Shoeless Joe should get in. Yeah. And give him some shoes, for God's sakes. Yeah, come on. At this stage of the game? Yeah. it's Especially summer in St. Louis. Holy smokes. It's hot. Yeah, you can't be walking on sidewalks or pavement in, without shoes. You know, I see a lot, when I go running, I see people sometimes um, walking around barefoot in the park, Mm -hmm. and there's a practice called grounding, where it says if you put your feet in the grass, that you connect to earth, it's kind of a meditation practice, and I've never done it, but I wonder if it works. I think it'd be too dangerous for me. For example, I know there are people that play golf barefoot. Really? Yeah, I would not do that. Play golf barefoot? Yeah. And who was it? Somebody... I'll find the story. I was just reading last week that somebody showed up without golf shoes and played barefoot. And Jim McMahon used to play barefoot all the time. But this is some a current athlete who got out of their car, realized they didn't have their golf shoes, played barefoot, and shot like a 72. Interesting. Yeah. See, I always think about those little, um, what are those little sticky balls called that fall from the trees? Yep. That would, that's, I would inevitably step on one of those. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks, Tanner. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. That's Tioli. Next up, Michelle and I have our fresh take. We want to hear from you. Use the mic drop feature. You have a half a billion dollars to spend. Just like Patrick Mahomes, you have to buy something. The person that you're buying from has no choice but to sell to you, and you have to spend the whole amount. So what are you buying? That's next. Plus, we're going to give you the latest on who's in camp for the Cardinals on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Take. Powered by Schnucks. Eat good to feel great at Schnucks on 101 ESPN. 8.04, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker. It is Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Let's talk some sports. Let's talk some baseball on the field. Yesterday, last night, Carlos Martinez gets on the field for the Cardinals after testing negative. He is joined by Junior Fernandez, who made his first appearance of Summer Camp 2020, brought to you by Camping World. <laughs> also, 2019 first-rounder Zach Thompson, former Cardinal, now back with the organization, Rob Kaminsky, and of course, Carlos Martinez makes it onto the field as the Cardinals go through a workout. And Brett Cecil is now throwing sidearm. So if we see him, he's apparently going to be throwing sidearm now. Uh, and reading the stories at stltoday.com, the quote I think he had was that it's going to make him a little bit more competitive. Mm-hmm. This new throwing that's a good motion. Thing. Yes, that's. I'll take it, right? Yeah. And I asked him last night, I said, What's your goal for this shortened season? And he said, To win the World Series. And I said, Well, what about personally? And I figured he would talk about the fact that he hasn't been able to pitch. And yeah. I, I just want to be able to pitch for my team and my teammates. And it was, I'd like to get into 25, 30 games, which would be cool. It, it, if he gets into 25, 30 games, that means he's pitching well. Right. If they're confident enough to use him, and that means they're probably in a, a pretty good spot. Well, maybe if he's pitching in 25 or 30 games, they're losing a lot. <laughs> Just tossing that out there for consumption. Yeah. But they, they have such depth, right, that you yeah. would like to think that if he's being used that frequently, it's because he's having success. Mike Schilt says... That he plans to go with 16 pitchers. I had a 17-man pitching staff yeah. and didn't have Cecil on it. Hmm. And I I don't see how, if you're the Cardinals, how you can, based on what we know about Brett Cecil, how you can say that he's one of your 17 best pitchers. Now, not to take away, I mean, he was when the Cardinals signed him, he was the best non-closer on the market. He has had, before he got here, a really good major league career. It's hard to make it to the majors. But at this stage, after three years of that contract... It's just not happening. And you don't have time to waste trying to figure out if he can give it to you or not. If you if you use him and he has success, okay, keep on doing it. But to me, the, the leash, if they were to u- utilize him, would be incredibly short there, no? It would, yeah, like non-existent. A, a game? Right. Yeah, that's the way I'm looking at it. Yeah. So baseball is back, and we're 16 days away from the opener. Basketball is in their bubble, although they're having some issues. And hockey is back. They actually have a new collective bargaining agreement. And last night, Doug Armstrong joined the fellas on This Week in Hockey and talked about how impressed he was with the NHL and the Players Association. Well, I think, you know, it's very important. Uh, The the troubles that that we're having in sport are so minor compared to the troubles people are having in their day-to-day lives not only with the virus, but with employment and the economy. So uh, I think it was uh, paramount that our group just uh, did things behind closed doors and and worked. And if they couldn't get an agreement, no one would be any the wiser. But hopefully they were able to get an agreement. We got labor peace. But just the way that they they went about it, and Colton Pranko is our player rep I give a ton of credit for. He had to take that information from from the PA, give it to his teammates, make sure everybody was up to speed on what was going on and uh, just a ton of credit goes to the players to, uh, for how smooth this went. Translation, we didn't want to be baseball. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, listen to what Army was saying. We wanted to do this behind closed doors. We didn't want people to hear about this. Credit to Colton Perego for getting the information, presenting it to a team. None of that stuff got out. And if we didn't reach an agreement, nobody would be any the wiser. Translation. I will repeat. Translation. Baseball looked like a clown show. We did not yeah. want to be baseball. And J.C. Treader doesn't want to be baseball either. He's the president of the NFLPA, and as we talked about last hour, he's concerned that the NFL believes that they're bigger than the virus. And I don't want them to learn because I, I care about people. I don't want them to learn in the most tragic way that they aren't bigger than the virus. But don't you think that that's inevitably what's going to happen? We, we've had conversations before about concussions and uh, what, what's it going to take for the NFL to, to approach this differently? And, and I know that they've put different things in place from a player safety standpoint, but what did it take for them to get there? Look at the road that had to be paved mm-hmm. for them to get there. And with this virus, you, you don't have any sort of leeway there. This could go sideways in a hurry. And in baseball, teams generally are testing. You've got 30 teams testing 50 players and maybe a total of 80 people maybe that you're testing. In football, you've got at least 80 players. They might go with 90, but apparently they're only going to go with 80 players to start camp. So you're testing 80 players, an entire coaching staff, which is generally upwards of 20 plus front offices. You're testing for 32 teams, maybe 125 people each day or every other day. That seems like a a pretty daunting task. It really does. And I know that there's been some dispute about preseason games and what they want the lead up to the regular season to look like, which I think those are all valid conversations. But you also have to think, okay, how are we going to get these guys up to football speed from a physical standpoint to get your body acclimated to what it's going to take to play football? You're going to have to have some sort of a a buffer period there. And so you think, how long is that going to take if you're going to do tech? Because in this, that environment, the NFL environment, you have to do the testing every day because they're going to be on in close proximity. It's, I I don't know. I think they have more of an uphill road ahead of them than they even realize. I'm going to give you an opinion here about a group of people. And I know this is a sweeping generalization. Okay. And I'll start with this. I know that you and I in sports, and I think this is a St. Louis thing. We like people. It's not necessarily rooting for the laundry. When Chris Long goes to New England or Philadelphia, we root for him. When Kurt Warner goes to Arizona, we root for him. When Brett Hull, maybe not the Red Wings, but he went to Dallas and we rooted for him. And you can understand why we wouldn't root for the Red Wings. We <laughs> care about people. I don't think NFL owners care about the people in their employ. I think they care about the players, but I I don't think they could care less about what happens to the people in their employ. And how many players do they actually care about? Oh, none. They, they only care about the quality of the player. But right. if that player if that person tears up his knee, they say, "Oh, well, just go get the next one." I be- and if they contract the coronavirus and can't play, well, I'll just go get the next one. I believe that's the way, based on the owners that I've seen, that they operate. That For them, it might as well be a widget as a person. Those guys could be robots that are replaceable. And I, that might be the comp. I think NFL owners see players as robots that, okay, just move one out. He's destroyed. We throw him on the scrap heap and get another one. They approach the team from a business standpoint. 
Mm-hmm. And they look at the players as a cog in their assembly line for their business. Yeah, it's a commodity. It's a commodity. <laughs> and it's been really successful for them. They've made yeah. billions of dollars with that approach. But you can't approach it this way. But I think that's why J.C. Treader wrote what he wrote. Because he knows that, that the owners don't care, right? Of course. Yeah. And, and they've given no indication that they are going to care about the people and not the commodity. Let's get to Lisa, a friend of our show. She's got a mic drop for us on what she would spend her one half billion dollars on. So I divide mine in two. The first $250 million would be for tickets purchased when the Cubs were coming to town, I would buy all the extra seats so there would be as few of Cub fans as possible in the stadium. And all the tickets would be donated to kids so that we maybe get some kids involved with baseball better. The other $250 million, I would buy Stray Rescue and invest all that money into Stray Rescue so they could help as many animals in the St. Louis area as possible and pay their employees a great wage. That would be awesome. See, that's a, a good quality human being yeah, right there. what a kind heart. It's great. That that would be what you would want to do with your money. From the 314, I would buy Fairmount Park, valued at 25 to 50 million. I'd dress it up and make it one of the premier tracks in America. That'd be pretty cool. That would be really cool. And uh, let's see, I'd buy part of an NFL franchise because they are money making machines. Can't mm. go wrong with that. Yeah, they are money making machines, you, but they the need, people you're dealing with are probably not. Say. You're, you're signing a deal with the devil with that one. Yeah. And one last one that I know you'll love because I love it. This is from the 636. I'm bringing the XFL back with my $500 million. Uh, that's the best answer. What we would have given. If we had that sort of money, definitely bringing back the XFL. Definitely bringing back the Battle Hawks. Man, I miss them. Me too. And we only had them for two home games. It's, it's and amazing. And we miss them. Yeah, we do. Uh, thank you very much for your... Uh, texts and of course your mic drops on 101 ESPN. Coming up we're going to head into the Blues booth with Bernie Federko on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. This is Character and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. The Blues booth is brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. When it's time for new flooring in your home, Real Wood provides the best long-term value. Boardwalk has great floors for every home. Visit our three area showrooms and online at boardwalkhardwood.com. It's great to be in the Blues booth with the Hall of Famer Bernie Federko on 101 ESPN with Michelle and Randy. Bernie, how are you doing this morning? Great to have you with us. Thank you, Randy. How are you, Michelle, this morning? Good? Everything's good here. (laughs) Perfect. Looking forward to training camp. And I wanted to start with this because uh, for people that aren't aware of it, young hockey players generally leave home and you just kind of put your head down as a 15, 16, 17-year-old, just put your head down and you go through camp and play. Because of the history of hockey players and what they do going into juniors, do you think that this environment that they're walking into might be a little bit easier where basically they're doing the same thing? They're just going somewhere. They're going to be with a group of guys. They're going to be with their team. And they're just going to play. Yeah, this is pretty uh, standard for, for all the kids. I mean, everybody's kind of grown up that way. I mean, that's what you do, as you mentioned, in junior or college. You're all together. You're your own little group. I mean, you if you're in college and doing the same thing, you really can't uh, hang out and do all the partying that the, the rest of the kids do on weekends because you're playing games and this and that. So, yeah, I think that this is business as usual. Uh, I think it's going to be maybe a little longer than they're used to when you you know you get uh, have to play what you have to win. 
16 games uh, to win the Stanley Cup, so you're going to be in one place for an awful long time. But uh, I think that, uh, the, the, especially this group that the Blues have right now, I mean, they went through a lot last year. They're uh, a very close-knit group, and I think that's going to really help them in the long run. Bernie, we got word that the NHL and NHLPA had come to an agreement on the CBA and the return to play and the protocols. And, you know, we didn't really hear anything about the process. We just heard, hey, both parties have come together and an agreement has been done. Do you think hockey may have learned from baseball's mistakes watching that process play out in such a messy public forum? Or do you think this is just kind of the way hockey approaches things like, hey, we're just going to get this done behind the scenes? Uh, that's really a good question there. I, I think that, I mean, obviously I hope that everybody learns from what baseball has, has gone through. I mean, I, I think that it, it gets a little ridiculous. I mean, everybody understands that uh, these guys make a lot, an awful lot of money and there's a lot of money being made in sport and why can't you come together and, and uh, you know, simplify things and, and get things done. But uh, I think for the most part, uh, you know, the, the NHL and the players, I think, are very satisfied with the way uh, hockey is gone. I mean, if I go back to my day, I mean, hockey's come a long way. I mean, when you look at the salaries and the, the salary cap that's going on right now and, and all the great things that uh, that the players are playing in front of them and the great buildings that are out there now, um, you know, fans are, are just adoring the game of hockey now. And, I mean, you know, every night it's sold, sold, sold out everywhere. So uh, to get the CBA done, I think, was really important. And I think that uh, both sides knew how important it was. And, and I'm really that, you know, glad that they kind of kept it under the press and they Got it done, and I mean, I, I you know, I don't think it's been ratified yet. I think the players still have to all vote on it, but I think the agreement has been made, and I think that uh, if they've learned from the other sports, I hope the other sports now learn from what they've done, how they've got together and got this done. And Bernie, uh, Doug Armstrong was on This Week in Hockey last night with Joy Vitale and Alex Ferrario, and he talked about how Colton Pareko was the player rep involved in all of this and what a great job he did getting the information and presenting it to his team. And, you know, to hear Army talk about Pareko in that sense, we know that he's an important part of this team, but is he more of a leader behind the scenes than we as fans maybe even give him credit for? Well, Colton was a real smart kid. I mean, uh, you know, here's a guy that came, you know, uh, Turned pro and hadn't finished his his college year, um, you know, studies yet. So he ended up finishing, you know, online and, and got his degree. So he, he's a really bright guy. I mean, I I can't say enough about Colton. He just, I mean, anybody that's ever met him, I think he's one of the finest gentlemen that you'll ever meet, and uh, always pleasant to be around. And what he does on the ice is incredible as well. But I think that's what's really good about the you know the players association right now. I think when you look at the reps now. Uh, that uh, you know represent each one of the teams. I think they're all uh, guys that have been really schooled. Uh, they know the process. They know all about economics, and I think that's what's really helped. Uh, I think the process that they have now with the Players Association, because there's so many uh, you know guys that have come out of college with great degrees, and and they're willing to to, to uh, really stay involved and, and really keep uh, the rest of the team um, you know. Uh, educated about what's going on. So I think uh, he's one of those guys that, that is really the new wave of NHL players. The Hall of Famer Bernie Federico with us in the Blues booth on 101 ESPN with Carriker and Smallman. All right, Bernie, I want to lay out the scenarios that players are going to deal with. Obviously, concern about the, the virus, uh, playing in a bubble. They haven't played a game for four months, and they're playing with the intensity of playoff hockey, but without fans. As you look at it from a player's perspective, if you could put your shoes into the or feet into the the skates of a current player, what would your biggest concern be in returning to play within the bubble? 
Well, I think to, to not not trying to get into it too quickly. I think training camp, I think, is going to be really, really important for all these guys to make sure that they pace themselves because, I mean, uh, these are the times where you want to jump back in if you've not really been skating a lot, which the guys have not been skating. I think they have to really make sure that they're careful not to get hurt, uh, uh, pull a groin or something right off the bat because once you start doing – um, you know, get a, a, like a nagging injury, like a groin injury or a hamstring or something like that. Then all of a sudden, you fall behind the rest of the the uh, group uh, in the training camp. So, um, you know, you can't get in, into all the workouts, and you're not skating with the rest of them. And then all of a sudden, as soon as you fall behind with that, then you get into trouble because everything else goes off your skating because now you got to get your time with your stick and your you know your hand eye, your puck movement, all this kind of stuff with the passing. So I think that's going to be the biggest thing for the guys is to make sure that they're um, you know that they pace themselves through training camp. And then I think once they get playing games, I mean once you you know the pucks drop when you have competition across from you, I don't think anybody ever worries about that because you're competitive. Uh, whether there's fans in the stands or not, you're still going to be competing against the guy across you. I think it's going to be hard for the guys to not have the noise and and the atmosphere that you have, obviously, with a packed house. But I think that's going to be for both sides. So I think it's going to be a lot of mental things. I mean, I think who's ever stronger mentally as a team uh, is going to be the team that's going to win it and end up winning it all. And finally, Bernie, one of my favorite days of the year, and I know Michelle is here, and I know you are this way too. One of my favorite days of the year is the first day of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And to know that on day one of the Stanley Cup playoffs, the Blues are going to be, begin defense of a Stanley Cup championship. That's pretty cool. We can't forget that, that they're working to defend a championship here. Yeah, I, I think that's been been lost through all of this. I mean, uh, this has been a, a tough stretch of four months now, I think, for everybody, not just with the hockey, but with the entire world, the, what, what the situation we're going through. So, yeah, I think it, it's new light. Any, anytime you see uh, something like this happen where we, we get a restart of, of a sport that we've been waiting for, and, um, you know, it was a wonderful year. We've got a lot of great memories from, from winning the Stanley Cup last year, and to be able to try to defend it now is, is a great thing because I think that uh, uh, no one – understood that this was going to ever happen and then all of a sudden when it shut down was it going to restart are we going to get a chance to have the blues uh, uh, go ahead and try to defend their Stanley Cup uh, uh, so it's 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 great that it's starting there's still some some days to go and I think uh, we have to wait patiently uh, to make sure and hope that this all uh, really comes through but uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun when uh, we start playing hockey again Bernie Federico we always love having you on the show thanks so much for the time we appreciate it Thanks, Randy. You can have a great day. See you later. That's the great Bernie Federico with us on 101 ESPN. It, it does kind of, you kind of forget that aspect of it. Not yeah. that the Blues are champions, but here we are. We're now within a couple of weeks of the Blues being able to start defense of their Stanley Cup championship. Defending the Cup. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Can't wait. Go, boys. <laughs> uh, coming up here on 101 ESPN with Carriker and Smallman is the fight. We've got a new fighter coming your way next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. In the red corner, the challenger, Average Joe Listener, Listener. And in the blue corner, fighting out of the mean streets of Creve Corps, the undisputed king of morning drive, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Randy Carragher! 
Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. You heard the intro. It's time for the fight. Let's welcome in Tom. He is Randy's competition this morning. Tom, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Fine. How are you guys doing this morning? We are doing great. All right. Let's kick this thing off. Tanner and I are here. And let's see if you can take down Randy. All right, Tom. Question number one. The MLS's back tournament will start tonight. When was the MLS founded? 1993, 1999, 2004. 93. What starting pitcher has made the most opening day starts in baseball history? Is it Randy Johnson, Roger Clemens, or Tom Seaver? Clemens. All right, Tom, question number three. What year did the St. Louis Blues hire Doug Armstrong to be their general manager? 2015, 2010, or 2007? 2007. And last one here, Tom. Who is the all-time leader in points scored in Blues history? Is it Bernie Federko, Brett Hull, or Al McInnes? Federko. All right, Tom. We have Tanner going to get Randy here and have him come in. How are you feeling, Tom? What's your confidence yeah, check? So-so. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm always surprised when people say they feel very confident after the questions because then you still have to hope that Randy doesn't get all of them right as well. So-so is better than nothing. That's right, Tom. Great attitude. All right, Randy <laughs> is sitting down. Randy, say good morning to Tom. Hi, Tom. How are you? Fine, Randy. How are you? Great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing today. Welcome to the show. You're welcome. All right, Randy. Question number one. The MLS's back tournament will start tonight. When was MLS founded? 1996. Randy, what starting pitcher has made the most opening day starts in baseball history? Hmm. I will use the lifeline here. Uh, is it Randy Johnson, no. Roger Clemens, or Tom Seaver? I am going to go with uh, I'll go with Tom Terrific. All right, Randy. What year did the Blues hire Doug Armstrong to be their general manager? Two thousand nine. And Randy, last one. Who is the all-time leader in points scored in Blues history? Points scored in Blues history. That would be the guy that we just talked to, uh, Bernie Federico. All right, we've got a winner. We have a winner. And new champion, Average Joe Listener. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. We have a tie. Ooh. Tag goes to the listener. Congratulations, Tom. You win. Um, question number one. So the the que- I never know how to phrase this. When you when will we say when was the MLS founded or when was MLS founded? When was Major League Soccer? Yeah, founded, because you would yeah. when people say the Major League Baseball, I think it's Major League Baseball. It's not the Major League Baseball. Right. So you, just wanna, you have it correct. Okay, I just want to make sure, Randy. I wanted to get your your judgment there. Okay, so when was MLS founded? 1993. Oh, 93. 93. Hmm. Tom Seaver has made the most opening day starts in baseball history. And the Blues hired Army to be their GM in 2010. Ooh, I don't think that's right. In 2009 draft, he made the trade for Tarasenko. Oh, no, that was the 2010. No, Schwartz, yeah, 2010. So he came in 2009, I guess, 2010. He was officially hired. Okay, my bad. And you were right, Randy. Uh, Tom was as well. Bernie Federko is the leader in, in points scored in Blues history. 1,073 points. Heck of a career. Tom, congratulations. We will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, looking forward to tomorrow here on 101 ESPN. Got tripped up on that date. Yeah, I did. So, yeah, wrong uh, wrong draft. 
So, uh, because his first trade as the Blues general manager was the trade to get the pick for Vladdy. Traded David Runeblad to Ottawa to get the pick for Vladdy Tarasenko. And actually, the first trade he made, he got uh, Halak from Montreal. But then on draft day, uh, he was really the force. That might have been Larry Plow's last deal. No, that was Army's first deal. And then he made the trade to get the Tarasenko pick. So he's done pretty well. There aren't many bad deals that Armstrong has made as the head coach of the Blues, or uh, Pobo, Poho of the Blues. GM and then Poho. Yeah. So pretty good. Yeah. It's Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is 837. Later on in the show, a couple of big interviews. Ross Dellinger covers college football for Sports Illustrated. And Michelle, he's got a great piece because he talked to uh, the congressman that's in charge of a bill that Congress is putting forth for name and likeness uh, and images being sold by college players. Players actually making money, and this is working through Congress now. So Ross Dellinger is going to talk to us about that. Aren't you glad that that's being enacted? Yeah, hey, Congress has to do something, right? (laughs) So they might as well do that. Plus Jason Stark. It's always great to talk to Jason Stark, and he's going to be with us from The Athletic at 930. And kind of like Tim Kirchner, a great baseball historian and a great perspective on the sport. And he he will be interesting because I want to ask him the question if he would put an asterisk next to this season. So a 60-game season with a normal playoff, are are you going to put an asterisk next to it? Let me put it in, I'll ask it two ways. Okay. If the Cardinals don't win, will you put an asterisk next to it? Definitely. If the Cardinals do win, <laughs> will you put an asterisk next to it? Of course not, of course there not. There you go. But I think in all reality, I won't, to me, an asterisk denotes cheating or that something improper had happened, um, whereas this is circumstances outside of baseball's control. So given... The format in which they are given, whoever wins is still winning based on the the confines and the guardrails that are put up before them. So I don't think that makes them any less of a champion. And we're going to see, and in perpetuity, people are going to go to baseballreference.com and see that a team won a division with a record of 40 and 20 or something like that. And if they want to put an asterisk, it can be pandemic. Right. You know, season, season season shortened due to COVID-19 pandemic. That will be the only reason is so that kind of like when I go on Twitter and somebody spells like uh, they're going to have a lot of trouble and spell it T-H-E-I-R and then I do asterisk T-H-E-Y apostrophe. You have to let them know why that season was truncated. But. You using the asterisk for someone who doesn't know the difference between there, there, or there mm-hmm. is you correcting them. It's also be being really a passive-aggressive Richard. No. Because <laughs> if someone's going to make a rude comment to you and they don't know how to spell or they can't use grammar correctly, that seems like the perfect time to call them out. Kind of do. You know? <laughs> but my point, though, is that you're using an asterisk to denote that something was wrong, to denote that they were wrong, and mm-hmm. that they misspelled it. Whereas, you know, an asterisk here... Baseball hasn't done anything wrong. They're dealing with the global pandemic. But right. And so the asterisk should be for informational purposes only, not to denigrate somebody. Instead of an asterisk, we need to come up with a new way to denote, hey, check out the key here to see why 2020 is different. How about a plus? Great. I love it. But just, just a plus next to it. Yeah, just yeah, check out the key. Uh, yeah. That's simple. So MLB. <laughs> 
We just made life for you very easy. So, Mo, I know you're listening. Call up Rob Manfred and say if they want to do anything, not an asterisk this year, but a plus. So then they'll definitely not do it. No way. (laughs) That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Normally, we do You're Killing Me, Smalls, in uh, the next hour, but Ross Dellinger, we got two guests next hour, Ross Dellinger of SI at 9 o'clock, Jason Stark at 9.30. So right now, we're going to do You're Killing Me, Smalls. Randy, 10 years ago today, LeBron announced he's taking his talents to South Beach. It doesn't seem like 10 years, first of all. And it is amazing how dramatically that changed the way sports is covered and the power that athletes have. Did you see the piece by Don Van Natta on ESPN about the decision? Yes. It is interesting to look back and see not only from a player's perspective, but from a team perspective, how sports kind of took the narrative that night. Rather than handing it to the media, sports teams took the narrative in-house. Do you think if LeBron could go back that he would have done that differently? Yes, because it had to affect him when they burned his jerseys, essentially in his hometown. He lives right down the street in Akron, and he grew up wanting to bring a championship to that town, and he did diss them on national TV. Big time. And he kind of deserved what happened. So, yeah, I would think that he would take it back. And I wonder how much of that... The reaction to the decision is why he went back to Cleveland. I think it was huge. And that's why I don't think he would change it. Because you needed him to leave. You needed him to go to Miami, learn how to be a champion, and have that disconnect, have that heartbreak in place for him to ultimately return the chosen one who then got the job done. Because I don't know if he would have stayed. Well, not if he stayed. I don't know if he would have gotten it done in the manner that he did. He obviously was a completely different player and had a life experience that he needed to do it there. But I also think you needed that heartbreak portion of the story for it to be so dramatic and so impactful. Somebody made a great point about the return to Cleveland, how when he came back, rather than him working for Dan Gilbert, Dan Gilbert worked for him. And he, LeBron, was able to mold his own team. But I do think at the end of the day... The reasons that he wound up in Miami and now in L.A. is because it's easy to recruit players to those towns. It's not easy to recruit players to Cleveland, first of all. And St. Louis is no different. It'd be like trying to recruit players to St. Louis. And I think it's probably difficult to recruit players to play for Dan Gilbert. I would think so, especially after he fired off that terrible letter in Comic Sans. It's amazing that it was 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Yeah. And I'm not irritated by much in our industry. Jim Gray is like one of the most irritating people that I watch or listen to in this industry. Really? Yeah. I don't know why. He just, he irritates me. Maybe it's because he's a jerk. I don't know. (laughs) You're killing me, small. Maybe it is. (laughs) Um, So speaking of LeBron, 
set into the bubble at Disney World. We know the NBA is getting ready to gear back up. And some media members are heading to the bubble already and doing some reporting from inside the bubble. And Randy, a lot of pictures being spread on social media about the food that is available in the bubble. And I don't know if you've seen these, but it doesn't look great. Really? It looks kind of like a low-budget airplane meal. Everything is in individual plastic containers. It looks kind of wilted and gray. And it does not look like something that King James would be down to eat. And Isaiah Thomas even tweeted as much. He quote tweeted, Troy Daniels had tweeted out pictures of his dinner inside the bubble. And Isaiah Thomas quote tweeted and said, no way LeBron's eating this, LOL. (laughs) So LeBron will be able to get things upgraded. I was wondering if they'll have Taco Tuesday in the bubble. They'll have to figure it out. But I was looking at that and I thought this kind of, it reminds me of Firefest. When people yep. were taking pictures of like, you've got to be kidding me that this is what we're dealing with here. And while it's clearly not as bad as that, it's not a slice of cheese and a slice of white bread in a styrofoam container. These are professional athletes that are used to having food a certain way and that are used to having creature comforts a certain yes. way. And while they're certainly willing to acquiesce a little and say, okay, we understand that circumstances are different. There's no way that these players are going to show up to this bubble and that they're going to eat a a coach-style airplane meal every night. At some point, and I can't believe with all of the amenities that they have, that they don't have individual chefs. Don't you make it so that Every player, and I know that we do have a pandemic and you're concerned about people preparing your food, but there can be no contact preparation of the food that the players want. If the chef is wearing gloves and a mask, that's the way to go. I understand not doing a buffet style. For for example, Taco Tuesday would be tough mm-hmm. because you can't have players dishing up their own meat and lettuce and sour cream and everything into their shell. But you should have somebody be able to make them food that is, A, most importantly, healthy, but B, attractive to them. You just have to do a Chipotle style where they step up to the counter, six feet apart from the counter, mm-hmm. and they walk through and assemble their meal the way that they want it. Right. It should be that simple. And it's attractiveness is a big thing. If, if they were ordinary, attractive food that an NBA player normally ate or eats, we would have never seen a picture of it. Yeah, and I mean, I'm looking at this entity. I don't want to eat this. Hmm, and what I, is it? What can, what's the dish? So there's a piece of what looks like very bland, poorly grilled chicken, mm-hmm. an ice cream scoop of what looks like mashed potatoes, a little container of plain noodles, kind of ziti type noodles, and then you have a salad and it's wilted lettuce with what looks like maybe some tomato or watermelon. Michelle, this is... It looks gross. From uh, Randy's childhood, this is elementary school lunch from a public school. No way. Because at least then you're getting pizza, you're getting a juice box, (laughs) you're getting maybe a brownie or something. This does not look appetizing at all. And if I don't think it looks appetizing and I'm not used to a Mm -hmm. personal chef and five-star meals every night, there's no way that these NBA players are going to eat this. This will get fixed. And I don't wonder if this is just maybe what the media or the people inside the bubble are going to have to deal with and the players will have something completely different. But either way, if I'm the media and I have to eat this every night, I mean, listen, I know media, we eat far worse. We've eaten Mm -hmm. really gross stuff out of a press box. You put anything in a press box and media is going to eat it. But But if players are tweeting it, that that's what they're having. Pretty telling. So, yeah, LeBron won't stand for that. And if anyone can get a fix, it's LeBron. Yep.
You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, Randy, last thing, ESPN Radio. Hello, us. Yeah. Um, they announced their new lineup yesterday. Oh, and, what's it look like? Uh, well, completely, completely different. But the one of the big stories coming out of the new lineup is that for the first time since October 1998, Mike Golick is not going to be in the ESPN radio lineup. Think about that. Since October 1998, people have been listening to Mike Golick in the mornings on their radio airwaves. That's incredible. 22 years. That was four stations ago for me. Wow, really? Yeah. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah, 98, I was at the Mighty Mox, and then I moved on to uh, 550 for five years, and then little 1380 walkie-talkie for two and a half years, and then here for the last 11 and a half. So that is an incredible run in our business, especially on a national level. And Mike Golick Sr. has now lost his fastball. He's still a guy that I like listening to. Me too. And I hope that uh, he finds his way onto some platform if he so desires to be on one. I, I don't know if he desires to be on one. He definitely could. But I think we need to commend him, not only for being able to endure in this industry, this very fickle mm-hmm. industry for that long, but think about getting up that early oh, yeah. and keeping those morning show hours since 1998. I hadn't thought of that. That's a feat in itself. Yeah, that's really brutal. So he got his son, Mike Jr., a job at ESPN, and Mike Jr. is going to have a show. He is. Um, he's moving from four to seven uh, with Shanae, who's an NBA am- analyst there. Uh, I believe she's just a basketball analyst. I think she does college um, mm-hmm. basketball as well. But yeah, Michael Jr. is amazing. He is going to have a show. But the morning show is going to be Keyshawn Johnson, Jay Williams, and Zuba Mahente. That's going to be the new ESPN radio morning show. Okay, I'll listen to us. Right. I'm not. Maybe an hour of them leading into us? No. Oh, yeah. Maybe on the drive in, I'll listen to them. I'm not thrilled by it. Uh, and then well, who's after that? Levitard. Levitard. I'm, I, I love the Levitard show. That's great. And then... F- Mike, Mike Greenberg for two hours and then Max Kellerman for two hours. I hope Greeny has a lot of guests. He probably and, will. It'll probably be interview format, I would imagine. Yeah. And then I hope Max Kellerman can get uh, Skip Bayless or somebody to talk to him. Okay. And that's... Uh, that's to four, and then uh, Golik and Shanae take over at four. Okay. And, then, and then Spain and Fitz, and then Ian Fitzsimmons and Freddie Coleman. That's right. your new ESPN radio lineup. That's a pretty dramatic change. It is. It's a, they're shaking it up. They are. I, I hope for the sake of them, because we're 101 ESPN. We're the, we're an affiliate. I hope it it does well. But, well, I'll, I'll give them the benefit of that. I'll listen before I make my decision that they're bad. Well, that's that's a good way to approach anything is give it a chance before you pass judgment. But I encourage people, if you've ever listened to Mike Golick in the morning, I Mm -hmm. mean, think about people have grown up with him. I think about how how many people will listen to him potentially out of college and then they got married. They started their careers and would listen to him driving into work or they would listen to them when they he had a family and or excuse me, once you had a family and you're driving your kids to school. Think about all the different stages of someone's life that they could have been listening to Mike Golick and the connection that you have to someone like that. In your in your daily routine, but he's trending on Twitter today, and people all throughout the industry and just fans of his and fans of the morning show of Mike and Mike and of Golik and Wingo are sharing tributes to him and what a great guy he's been in this industry and just what he's meant to so many people in their in their daily routine. So I encourage you to check it out and see some of the comments because it's very heartwarming to see. And I know in our business, in any walk of life, sometimes management people like to make change for change's sake. That doesn't mean it's a good thing. 
And that's why I say I'll give I'll give Key and uh, and Jay Williams the benefit of the doubt, but it's going to be hard to be better than Mike Golick has been for 22 years. 22 years. Yeah, pretty good. Thanks, Michelle. You got it, Randy. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk some college football and players getting paid for their likeness with Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carriker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN in St. Louis, where it's coming up on 901. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Ross Dellinger covers college football for Sports Illustrated, has a great piece up right now about the name, image, and likeness of college players that apparently they'll be able to benefit from in the very near future. And Ross is with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Ross, thanks for taking some time with us this morning. How are you doing? Good. How are y'all? Everything's terrific here in St. Louis. Well, let's start with this before we get to NLI. Uh, how does college football look for you in 2020? Are we going to play? Oh, the big question, uh, certainly everybody wants an answer to. It's, it's not an easy one. Um, I've been doing reporting over the last few days on, on this topic and uh, have a story out tomorrow, actually, at SI.com that will hopefully get into the issue uh, I dive into the the many things that uh, conference commissioners and athletic leaders are uh, trying to determine, you know, and I think it's still um, certainly uh, unanswered. Um, But I do think over the last two weeks, uh, doubts have crept in in the minds of college athletic leaders, uh, doubts that weren't necessarily there, you know, three, four weeks ago. There was a lot of hope and confidence, but with the spike in uh, viral cases, not just on college campuses, uh, but mainly uh, across the nation uh, and in pockets around the country. Uh, That's the real reason why we're seeing athletic leaders maybe having some doubts that they can start on time. And depending on who you ask, you get different answers. You know, some still are pretty confident saying it's 80% chance to start on time. Others are saying it's more like a 30% chance. So, um, this next month is obviously significant as uh, they plan on making a decision around the first week of August. Russ, how much of the decision to move forward with college athletics might be predicated on if or if not students actually return to campuses? Because that's one of the, the discussions Randy and I keep having is how can you justify bringing collegiate athletes back to campus if students in general aren't there? That's a big talking point and, and was certainly uh a huge question I remember back in May and most of the conference commissioners came out and said, you know, under a hybrid model of education uh, that you could have um, athletic activities on a campus. So you, under the hybrid model, you'd have a portion, maybe even a small portion, 20%, 10% of kids on campus going to in-person classes. However, the virus um, has even put a stop to, the hybrid uh, model I saw where um, Harvard is, is not going to have any in-person classes. They are going to have kids living on campus, but not attending any classes. And we might be seeing that happen more and more here soon. And that would definitely be, um, that is a determining factor in if that happens more and more, especially to FBS programs, yeah, we could. That could pose some problems in in having athletic activity if 
you're not having students uh, going to class on a campus. So um, Larry Scott, I just talked to him, Pac-12 commissioner, just yesterday, and he mentioned that uh, for him at least, um, uh, you've got to have some in-person classes. The kids just can't be on campus living. You've got to have some in-person learning. Uh, other commissioners have a little bit different take. Maybe they'd be more com- be comfortable with any students being on campus, like Harvard's approach where uh, everybody's online, everybody takes online classes, but you have students living on campus. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a tricky thing, and, and certainly um, athlete advocates, uh, they'll tell you that they believe <laughs> – that uh, colleges are putting regular students at risk by being on campus just to uh, have athletics. Um, So it's a tricky situation. However, um, I do think that the vast majority, if not all of the FBS programs will find a way of, you know, know, even if it's a couple of in-person classes, um, just so they, you know, to, to make sure that they can, they have a window open at least to hold athletic activities. Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated with us on 101 ESPN. And Ross, you have a piece up at SI.com right now regarding NLI. And you spoke to Roger Wicker, Senator from Mississippi and Chairman of the U.S. Senate Commerce Committee. And here we have the U.S. Senate and the, the U.S. Congress getting involved with this name, image, and likeness issue that players have been on for quite some time. Uh, let's start with this. Uh, why is Congress involved with getting college players to be able to benefit from their name, likeness, and image? Um, you know, a couple reasons. Uh, number one, uh, you know, the state uh, legislatures uh, have began to uh, process and pass uh, NIL legislation that would govern NIL in their own states. Um, in the California was the first, uh, then came, I think Colorado, Florida, then came and Florida is going to be the first, uh, uh, next year at this time to, to take effect. So basically next year at this time, Florida state, Miami, the university of Florida, all those colleges in Florida, uh, will have the ability to play by different rules basically than all the other colleges because their state law will allow them to pay uh, amateur athletes, college athletes will get will get compensated by uh, you know from endorsement deals and autograph signings, things like that. Uh, so when that when that started to happen, obviously NCAA does not want that to happen. They they don't want uh, you know state laws to be governing NIL, and of course, you know they don't want and a lot of others don't want fifty different state laws governing NIL. Then you would have you know, a team in Texas with a different uh, competing against, uh, with, you know, uh, participating under a different NIL structure as maybe a, a team in Alabama, and that that would be potentially unfair. So that that's what it boils down to why Congress got involved, because all these different state laws aren't going to work. Um, many, many will tell you. And so Congress, uh, partly pushed by the NCAA itself, um, is working on a, a federal NIL bill, a uniform standard that would cover the entire nation. Uh, it's something most people believe, <clears throat> I think, that is needed, again, because of the, the, the varying state laws. However, um, we don't know exactly what Congress's NIL uh, will feature, um, how restrictive it'll be. Will it be NCAA-leaning or athlete-friendly? 
we don't really know yet, and that's in the process of happening. They're in the process of drafting legislation, and uh, Roger Wilcock tells me, uh, you know, which at, the, at some times were what I, I gathered as fairly significant news coming from uh, the chairman of the committee in which uh, the bill, any NIL bill will have to pass, says that he believes it will pass, uh, that, that all signs are pointing to it passing and potentially it going through his committee. Uh, later this year after the election. Yeah, I was going to ask because most of what we see from Congress and uh, the Capitol these days is really partisan. It seems like this is a logical bipartisan issue that everybody with any sense could get behind, right? Because players for years have had their likeness uh, utilized by the NCAA or by another entity. It seems like most of these people are adults. It seems like it should be pretty logical on the part of most of the politicians to push this through. Yeah, you know, every issue, it seems like in this country these days, for whatever reason, is uh, being politicized, uh, including the, <laughs> the safety precaution of of wearing a mask. It's it's bizarre. Uh, but this is one issue that even politicians believe is is not doesn't necessarily fall on on political lines. And uh Wicker's quote to me was, you know, this isn't a right to left issue. And that is obviously tremendous. Um and I'll say, you know, there there already been a few NIL bills that have been introduced. The problem with them is they're not as formulated and structured in in as they probably uh, should be, and they're not and, uh, supported bipartisanly. And uh, the latest one, Marco Rubio's bill, um, you know, he announced his bill, and, and uh, no other lawmaker really jumped on board. That that's a pretty good sign that uh, that bill is not going to advance. Um, and so, what you're going to have to have is is you're going to have to have bipartisan support in drafting a bill, and that's happening. Uh, a couple of members of the Commerce Committee are. Uh, a Democrat and a Republican, uh, Jerry Moran and uh, Richard Blumenthal, are working together on a bill. Uh, Roger Wicker, of course, working on his kind of own legislation. Uh, Anthony Gonzalez is working with some Democrats in the House. He's a Republican. He's working with some Democrats in the House for a bill. So it does feel like this is a bipartisan issue. I, I will tell you just from speaking to a lot of people um, up up at the uh, on Capitol Hill is is that the Democratic side certainly wants less restrictions uh, um, for athletes. You know, they want a, probably a little bit more athlete-friendly bill. Um, it, it, again, just from talking to some um, conservative Republicans, uh, they want a little more restrictions. Rubio's bill does have that, a uh, little more restrictions. So that's where it's going to be uh, a little bit of an argument there is how restrictive would an NIL be? And when I mean restrictive, um, I mean, you know, on athletes' rights. You know, what what can what endorsement deals can they sign? Uh, can they have an agent? Uh, a lot of those questions. It seems, though, Ross, from reading your piece, that even though both sides might disagree a little bit on restrictions, that one thing they can both agree on is uh, the fact that they have contempt for the construct of the NCAA in general. And you pose a good question about this NIL legislation in the piece. Do you think that this is the first step towards more broad and wide-sweeping NCAA reform? It is. Uh, I think this is very much uh, one of of many um, many-step process here. Uh, it, you know, Donna Shalele, the, uh, the former Miami president and Wisconsin president, she's now in the House, and she proposed uh, a bill to form a, a legislation to form a committee to study, you know, uh, 
reform in the NCAA and how it needs to go beyond uh, NIL. So a lot of legal experts will tell you that too, that this is, this is just start. Uh, there will be uh, potential legislation down the line for medical care, post eligibility, medical care for, for athletes. Uh, I could see that happening. That is something that's on the mind of uh, many. Uh, a lot of people in Congress want some kind of oversight on coaching salaries uh, in the NCAA. You might see that come up. So the, the, it transfers, you know, which the NCAA is moving closer and closer to an, oh, basically an open transfer market um, for players. And that is something that uh, uh, issues that Congress has raised as well. Ross, we appreciate your time. We advise everybody to go and read your piece at SI.com and a new one coming out tomorrow about the possibility of football not being played this fall. Thanks so much for your time. We do appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. That's Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated, SI.com on 101 ESPN. I've thought for a long time that players should, if you're going to be selling a number 10 Chase Daniel jersey at Mizzou while he's playing, we know, even though the name isn't on the jersey, we know that you're making money off of that guy's mm-hmm. popularity on the football field. So he should be able to profit and benefit as well from the, the name, image, and likeness. It just makes sense, right? As you said, yeah. it's just kind of a, a common sense approach at this point. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, today's big thing on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Opinions do matter. Time for today's big thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by SSM Health is here in person or online to provide the safe, high quality and personalized care you've come to expect. Visit SSMHealth.com for more information. One of the things Mike Schill wanted to do is prepare his team for the season that is going to be played at night. And this afternoon, it's going to be up to 88 degrees here in St. Louis. So the Cardinals have decided to work out this evening. And at 7 o'clock, it's going to be still going to be 88 degrees. But at least it'll be a normal game time for the Cardinals as they get ready to uh, prepare for the 2020 season. And... One of the good things that happened yesterday is the Cardinals got a couple of players back. Junior Fernandez, Carlos Martinez on the field. John Mozeliak made the announcement last night. You know, Major League Baseball understands the difficulty of these logistics. And, you know, we can spend a lot of time trying to decide who we want to blame and and, and point fingers. But, um, you know, we learned from the last few days. And, you know, hopefully we have more smooth sailing moving forward. I would say on a positive note, um, that all our tests came back negative, which is good news. And that means that Carlos Martinez and Junior Fernandez are on the field, and the Cardinals hope to get Alex Reyes back. And we don't know what his situation is, but he hasn't shown up on the field yet. So hopefully he'll be there soon. And Giovanni Gallegos still hasn't been able to fly out of Mexico to get to St. Louis. Of all of the X factors that present themselves to the Cardinals this season, how important is Carlos Martinez? You needed him out there. You need to see what he is capable of physically, and you need to determine what role you want to use him in this season. And I know that the Cardinals were concerned about him missing any more time. He missed three days, and he missed a lot of PFP, pitching fielding practice, and a lot of bunt practice that uh, the pitchers worked on. But 
he'll be able, if he's focused, to handle all that. He used to be a shortstop. He can field. But they just have to get him back to ground zero in terms of fielding and having his mind applied to the fielding part of things. What role would you like to see him used in this season, Randy? Right now, until Jordan Hicks is back, I'd like to see him be the closer, simply because I know he can get the 27th out. I know he's emotionally prepared, even though he looks sometimes like he's kind of just going through the motions. He does get the 27th out, and because he's done it before, I'd like to see him start the season there. And hopefully, Hicks will be back two weeks into the season. If you have Carlos stretched out, and on July 24th, he is your closer. And then after two weeks, you get Hicks back. And I don't know if Hicks is your closer right away when you bring him back either. Okay, I'm going to go with Martinez as my closer. And then Kim is going to be in my rotation. I get a lefty in the rotation. Well, I just saw a tweet from Derek Gould, STL Today, Post-Dispatch, mm-hmm. always having the, the great info. He says, the Cardinals like the idea of Kim in the rotation. So Miles Michaelis is outing Tuesday. His building pitch count and Martinez's arrival sets in motion the possibility for Carlos to return to the bullpen as a clear answer to hold leads in a short season. Makes sense. I asked John Mozeliak about that last night. To, to try to answer the Carlos question you know, two hours after he reported is probably a bit unfair because I don't know exactly where he is physically. I don't know um, how far he's stretched out. But in, in, in terms of, of who may close if, if Carlos is in the rotation, I think it's a fair question, a good question. I think you know, we have time to determine that. But we certainly feel like we have some horsepower down there with guys like Helsley, somebody like a Gallegos who threw very well for us last year. So I, I think when you look at sort of the combination of what we have, I think we're going to be able to answer that question. But I, I think, you know, before you have to answer that, you're going to have to understand what those five starters look like as well. I love the abilities of Gallegos and Helsley. But, Michelle, here's my thing. I can't afford to lose a, a game in the ninth inning where I'm rolling the dice because he might or might not be able to emotionally handle the stress of a ninth. And I understand that there aren't going to be fans in the stands. I understand that it's not going to be the same as it would be if there were 45,000 people at Bush Stadium. But there's still going to be your teammates in the dugout. There's still going to be the stress of trying to get the 27th out. I'm just going to feel better about it if Carlos Martinez is the guy that blows that lead rather than Gallegos or Helsley. I was so intrigued to see Carlos back in the rotation because when healthy... You've seen what he can give you, and you know that the potential is there for him to be a great starter. But the last thing we saw out of this Cardinals offense was horrific. Mm -hmm. And while I certainly don't anticipate that we're going to see what we saw offensively like we did in the NLCS, until they prove it to me that they're back in a rhythm offensively and we start to see that offensive production, I'm going in to this season thinking there might be a lot of close games Mm -hmm. uh, ahead of us here. And every game counts. And so to your point, I don't want to get to the ninth inning and be like, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to do here? We're going to put somebody in this role that maybe doesn't have the seasoning as a closer that Carlos does. And the other X factor here is Andrew Miller. And especially if Brett Cecil somehow makes the team because, well, here's the thing. Pitchers have to pitch the three hitters. And I'm still, it's, I'm still in my mind thinking about the lefty specialist. I know, I know. Uh, but Andrew Miller has had 34 saves in a season, and he says he feels great right now. If he gets through this two and a half weeks, two weeks and two days now, and on the 24th, he feels great and he's been throwing great, maybe there's your closer if you want to have Carlos in the rotation. I could see it. 
quick aside, when players say they're feeling great, do you believe them? Because what are they going to say? What are they going to get up to the mic and say, or on a Zoom meeting and say, meh, I could have done a little bit extra work in the offseason. Shouldn't have watched so much Netflix. They're never going to say that. Of course, they're going to say, true. I've been training. I am ready. I feel great. Yeah, everybody's in the best shape of their lives, Of course they? they are. Even in the middle of a pandemic, Randy, everyone's in the best shape of their lives. That's a good point. Now, we talked to, during your Killing Me Smalls about the fact that the food at the bubble for the NBA is not so great. <laughs> and that is a problem. They have other problems. Here's NBA Commissioner Adam Silver on an interview with the Fortune Brainstorm Health Podcast. We won't be surprised when they first come down to Orlando if we have some additional players to test positive. What would be most concerning is once players enter this campus and then go through our quarantine period, then if they were to test positive or we would have any positive tests, we would know we would have an issue. And so in terms of our level of confidence, um, again, when we set uh, down this path in terms of coming back in, in Orlando, Florida was not experiencing case levels at the rate they are now in Orange County where Orlando is um, was not. But on the other hand, we design this campus environment so that we could be as um, protected as possible from the environment around us. So on paper and dealing with our experts, this should work. So with that being the case, Michelle, take it or leave it, Mm -hmm. the quality of food will be a bigger issue in the bubble than the COVID-19. Oh, that is such a good one. (laughs) I want to leave it because I would like to think that I don't know, the pandemic and the virus would be more important. But if, as Adam Silver said, based on what experts have said, it would be very difficult with all the testing and the protocols in place for the virus to penetrate the bubble. I'm going to say, yeah, because players, especially NBA players, have no problem speaking their minds on social media. And if they arrive to the bubble and the accommodations are less than stellar, including the food, you know there's going to be pictures tweeted. You know that there's going to be Instagram lives of guys being like, you really expect me to eat? There's going to be some sort of a big deal made if this is the food that they're presented. Like I said earlier, I don't want to eat that food. That food looks disgusting (laughs) to me. And I don't have a chef, and I'm not eating five-star meals every night. And what I consume on a day-to-day basis doesn't impact the way that I'm able to do my job. Mm -hmm. Right, and... I think at the end of the day, especially NBA players, it's all about me. So out of 350 people, if five test positive, all 350 are affected by the food. So I think the food will be a bigger issue than positive COVID-19 tests in the NBA bubble. And you think about the way that these athletes take care of their bodies. I mean, LeBron spends, what, a million dollars a year maintaining his body? A huge, huge, huge portion of that equation is what you consume on a day-to-day basis. Great point. And, you know, these, man, that's going to be a, that is going to be a big headache for the NBA to deal with. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that's, that's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk to Hall of Fame baseball writer Jason Stark of The Athletic. He is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Character. Great to have you with us and great to go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And joining us from The Athletic is Hall of Fame baseball writer Jason Stark. Jason, we always love hearing your voice. How are you, sir? Randy, Michelle, doing well. 
and kind of cool to talk baseball in these baseball segments, huh? Yeah, we, we've been talking about who's going to close for the Cardinals. We've been, we've been talking about what they can do uh, to to fill out their rotation if Carlos Martinez is the closer. It, it is fun to talk about stuff that's actually happening on the field. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's taken me a few days to adjust. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I'm happy to be doing it. I uh, just hope it all works. Uh, so do we, Jason. Yeah, you're right. We went from talking about uh, the Players Association and the owners squabbling about money to uh, missing tests or tests being delayed. So it's nice to actually talk about actual things that matter for baseball. So let's keep it there. Let's keep it in a positive space just for a second. Well, let's and let's localize it. When you look at the National League Central, when you look at the, the you know the Cardinals and the teams that they're facing here, what teams do you think are construct- constructed in a way that would lead them to succeed in the 60 game format? You know, Michelle, I think it's never been harder to handicap. Um, like, we just don't know what's around the corner. I know <laughs> I know, we try to just talk baseball, but you just don't know who's going to test positive, who's not, whose teams are really going to be impacted, and who's not. Just, just think about the impact of one major injury, even if it's, for its, even if it's just for a couple of weeks, right? A, you know, a guy who's out for 15 games, that's a quarter of a 60-game season. And so, you know, I, did, I think depth is going to be huge. I think pitching depth is going to be huge. Uh, having, having players in that 60-player pool you can plug in, it's going to be huge. Everything's going to matter because the NL Central is going to be so tight. And when you look at the teams, Jason, that are dealing already with people that have opted out, David Price, that's a big hit. I know the Dodgers have a lot of starting pitching depth, but he's pretty good. He's a former Cy Young Award winner. When you look at Nick Markakis for the Braves, teams that we expect to be in the playoffs are already taking those hits that you're talking about. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I don't think we've seen the last player opt out. I don't. There are a lot of players who are thinking about it still kind of waiting to get some questions resolved, see how this plays out as they get closer. Um, you're exactly right. Like if you take David price, um, that was a guy that Dodgers had big hopes for. Uh, Joe Ross was a guy who was throwing tremendous in spring training. And that, he's gotten there's been almost no publicity about Joe Ross opting out, but that's a, that's a very difficult loss for the nationals. And, Let's see how this goes over the next couple of weeks. Like, suppose Mike Trout opts out. Uh, what's a bigger team-changing decision than that? Jason, do you think Mike Trout opting out, though, might turn the tide with other players in baseball? Because I don't know if he really holds that power. Randy and I were talking about other sports earlier, and if LeBron opts out in the NBA, I think a lot of players are changing their mind. If Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes opts out in the NFL, I think a lot of players are changing their minds. And I don't know if Mike Trout or any other player in baseball really holds that much star power to where if guys were potentially on the fence one way or another would say, hey, if this guy's not doing it, then I'm not either. What do you think? Yeah, that's a really fascinating question, Michelle. There's no equivalent to LeBron in baseball. Not just the the nature's the nature of the two sports is just so different. But I do think Mike Trout, because of the stature he holds in the game, uh, the way other players look at him and respect him, the fact that he clearly loves to play, that he's so even keel. Uh, if he were to say I don't know that this is safe. 
I do think it would have an impact. We have to recognize that young players can't afford to opt out. They need to play. They need the money. Uh, but there are a lot of players in the game who have made their money and are financially secure and very well could be looking for guidance from people like that. So I, I don't think it's LeBron, but I do think he carries major weight. Jason Stark of The Athletic with us on 101 ESPN. And Jason, you do such a great job of putting things in baseball in perspective. So I know there's a lot of people that want to put an asterisk next to the season. Put the 60-game season into perspective for us. Uh, I, I just think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the season of weirdness. <laughs> I think you can see just about any aberrational thing you could think of. You know, I've just been contemplating, what, like, what would be the chances that the Tigers could win the World Series? You'd say, that's nuts. But think about it. The, the Rockies last year had a 37-23 and 23 stretch. And all their other games, the rest of the year, they played like a 108-loss team. Um, <laughs> so 60 games is not a representative portion of a normal baseball season. But of the thousand words you would pick to try to describe this season, normal is not on the list. So <laughs> just pick some crazy scenario. You can't rule it out in a season like this. And I look at my, my magic number, Jason, is a seven-game winning streak because it's going to be hard to be really bad if you're good enough to win seven in a row. But if you can get to a point where you win seven in a row and you're going to have a 37-23 and 23 team if you play the 500 ball the rest of the way, I'm going to take my chances with 37 wins this year. Oh, yeah. Uh, in fact, if you look at the Fangraphs projections right now for this season, they don't project any team to win 37 games. Not the Dodgers, not the Yankees, not any team. Um, so one hot streak changes everything in a season like this. And on the other hand, one losing streak changes everything. Mm-hmm. I wrote a piece a week or so ago just to look at the strangers of this season. And it's funny that you picked seven games, Randy, because I looked at seven-game losing streaks. That happens in baseball all the time. That's a bad week. 19 teams had a seven-game losing streak last year. But mathematically, in a 60-game season, that's the equivalent of a 19-game losing streak. Wow. Um, you, you can't recover from that. One bad week could make your whole season an impossible climb. And that, like, we've never seen that in baseball. It, it's, you know, it's one of the fun things about a 60-game season, but there's a lot of pressure and a lot of urgency connected to every game and every week on the schedule that you don't ordinarily have. And Jason, it seems to me like that makes managers more of an X factor than ever. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. Um, You know, you're going to see games managed, Michelle, in a way that we're not used to. Because when when you're managing your way through the marathon, it's so easy to say, I just can't burn this pitcher. I'm prepared to lose tonight so I can win tomorrow and the day after that. You don't have that margin for error in a season like this. I really foresee a lot of games where the Cardinals get the lead and take a lead into the fifth inning, and Mike Schilt starts hauling out every one of his best relievers to try to close that game out because the meaning of it is so different. I mean, if every win is worth almost three times a normal win, you can't afford to let those games get away. 
So the way managers approach the urgency of this season and every night at the ballpark, I think it's a difference maker. Jason, I know when we talked to John Mozalek about the trade deadline, he says, I really haven't had time to think about the early trade deadline yet. But that's another interesting aspect to this season, as far as I'm concerned, is here we are on August 31st. And because it's halfway through the season, and we talked about the seven-game streak, there will be a lot of teams that know they're out of it or a lot of teams that know that they have a great chance by the time we get to August 31st. I don't know. Are we sure about that? You know, again, looking at those fan grass projections, Mm -hmm. They have 19 teams projected to win between 30 and 33 games this year. I think we can easily get to the deadline, and almost nobody is going to feel like they're out of it. I do think there'll be some teams motivated to move money. Who's taking money? Right. (laughs) It seems like this. You know, I've I've been told that teams have borrowed $2.4 billion just to operate. And, you know, I know we spent a lot of time debating – whether or not teams really lose money because it's so much is dependent on the money they would get back when they sell. But there's no doubt that paying off those debts is a real thing. So are teams going to take on those those potential salary dumps? I don't know how to handicap it. And maybe, Jason, maybe this will precipitate actual baseball trades. That would be the, the only refreshing part of this <laughs> you know uh, we, we don't know we don't see a lot of real baseball trades at the deadline um you know it's mostly i'll move my veteran for your young guys but if you know if we got to the deadline and we saw a bunch of trades involving major league players uh, i'll move my shortstop for your left fielder That'd be cool. I'd love to see that change. <laughs> hey, one other note, because we talked a lot since last season about Nolan Arenado, and it's pretty clear that the Cardinals have some level of interest in the guy, and that would be the Cardinals are are going to have money. They, they make money, and they're confident that they're going to get fans back. Is that a move that you could foresee? That Well, let me put it this way. Would you be surprised if we would get to August 31st and the Cardinals would make a move by giving up some mid-level prospects for Nolan Arenado? Again, Randy, really hard to handicap. Um, You know, I I don't think the Rockies are going to be terrible. If they're not terrible, you can't unload Nolan Arenado in midseason. It's also, uh, it's an incredibly rich contract, Mm -hmm. right? It's one of the biggest contracts in baseball. And I, I just don't know where the Cardinals are, where any team really is in terms of taking on that much money. Also recognize he's a guy who could opt out. I, I would doubt he'd opt out if he went to the Cardinals. But you'd have, would, you, would you be able to get assurances of that before you made that trade? There's just so much that goes into trading for a player like this in the middle of a season, especially if the trade deadline comes up a month after opening day. Right, it's, it's going to be crazy. Hey, we appreciate your time, Jason. Whoever thought, would have thought that we'd be covering summer camp? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we're not calling it spring training anymore. We're not one day of it in the spring. <laughs> right, exactly. Have a great day. Thanks for your time. We do appreciate it, and hopefully we'll be able to do this again once the season gets going. 
Sounds good. Great to talk to you. Thanks. Thanks, Jason. That's the Hall of Famer Jason Stark from The Athletic on 101 ESPN. He's always fun. I, we were talking earlier about Golick, and my maybe my favorite radio segment every week during the baseball season was uh, Jason Stark's trivia with Golick and uh, with Mike and Mike. Oh, Megamind loved Jason Stark's baseball was, trivia. I'm shocked by that. So <laughs> I would inevitably be in my car and have to sit through a break because I would be, I, I, he made you think. Big time. All right. And you had to take some time to think about that. And that's why they gave him three minutes to think about what the answer was. I was pretty good on those, but it, it took some time to think about it. It did. But I'm not surprised, Randy, no. that you were good on Jason Stark's <laughs> baseball trivia. <laughs> He's fantastic. Dan McLaughlin has scoops with Danny Mac coming up in a moment. And we'll hear from Dan as we cross over to Scoops with Danny Mac next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. So Danny Mack is coming up here on 101 ESPN. It's Carriker and Smallman, and Danny is here in studio. Good to see you. Great to be with you guys. How are you? Good. We were just talking about Carlos Martinez, and we were talking about a game that he pitched at Yankee Stadium, and I think it was in 2017. And the reason I brought it up is, and as you mentioned, Dan, during our break, he walked six, and he went to three and two on everybody. And ultimately, ultimately though, he made an error that directly led to the Cardinals losing the game. And he did that three times. He finished 15 and 14 that year. And if he's mentally engaged, they were all mental errors that caused his team to lose three games. And he's an 18 and 11 guy rather than a 15 and 14 guy. And that puts the Cardinals in the playoffs in 2017. If if Carlos is mentally engaged, he is sensational. I still think, before it's all said and done, it seems like I'm a broken record about this, but if he's a starter... In a normal season, he's going to throw a no-hitter. He's got that kind of stuff. There's a couple of games that he's thrown in his career where his stuff is so nasty. There are are times that there there are hitters that just don't have a chance. And if he's in a starting rotation and he's locked in mentally and physically... That particular day, he's going to throw a no-hitter. He's got that kind of stuff. I still think it may happen. Now, this year, who knows what's going to happen if we if we play but uh, and what his role may be. But he's that good, and that's why I think coming out of spring training this year in a normal season, uh, he came into camp physically really good, uh, in, in really good shape. Um, and mentally, he was locked in, and I know they were, they were really proud of him and, and how he came into to camp as opposed to what happened the year before. He would have been in uh, in the rotation. There's no doubt. Question for both of you: Opening day, Pittsburgh. Flaherty has seven no hit innings. He's thrown ninety pitches. What are you doing? Ah, uh, that's a good question. <laughs> ninety pitches. Yeah. Uh, I'll let Michelle start. <laughs> <laughs> this is why they pay Mike Schultz to make these decisions. Yeah. Um, well, he he did deal with it twice. Um, Mm -hmm. in Major League debuts with Daniel Ponce de Leon and Austin Gomber. Um, Now, those those pitch counts got into, at least uh, Ponce's got into the 100s, and Mike actually said later it was an easy decision to take him out. I asked Daniel about it, and he said he was kind of frustrated he got (laughs) taken out of the game. Austin's was interesting because, do you remember what happened? Mm -hmm. Do you guys remember what happened? Mm -mm. Austin went out for the seventh inning, and the uh, fire alarm went off at the Great American Ballpark. Mm-hmm. Oh. 
Odd timing. Yeah. Very odd timing. And it was back-to-back games. I do th- remember that. That yeah. the Reds were getting no hit in. And uh, and both had really good stuff. And Ponce basically was just throwing fastballs. Just elevating fastball, cutting it a little bit. But it was just fastball after fastball after fastball. And um, I said to both of them, I said, were you guys frustrated? And like, yeah, we're frustrated. <laughs> we wanted to go get it. But... Um, I, what I find interesting what's going on now is that as we call this, whether it's spring training 2.0 or summer camp or whatever, this is not in Aren't week, you by camping world. Thank you, Randy. <laughs> this is not um, week two of spring training of a normal. These guys have been amped up and working towards basically, in my opinion, you're, you're looking at like Garrett Cole yesterday. Mm-hmm. They, they told him for the Yankees that you're supposed to go four innings. And he was so efficient in their inter-squad game that he went five. So now if he's got, let's say, another start or two before opening day, why couldn't he go seven innings? You might see that when he opens up against Max Scherzer and the Nationals on that opening night. Um, my guess would be that they would pull him back with Jack Flaherty. That would be my guess. But the eye test would would let you really make that decision more so than a pitch count, I would think. But it is an interesting question for sure. Yeah, I wouldn't want to go out there and tell him no, would you? Sure. I'm the boss. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. But it wouldn't be a lot of fun, put it that way. it wouldn't be fun, but I mean... You have to understand if you're a pitcher at this stage of the game that they need to preserve you in the best way possible. I think we... This is going to sound like I'm... This is old school, new school, but I I think we put way too much into pitch counts, to be quite honest with you. I mean, if you look at Adam Wainwright, what did he he had a start of around 130 pitches right. last year, and here's a guy that's got more mileage on his body and arm than most people in baseball and was still efficient. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I think sometimes we put way too much into it. I think there's guys that you have to look at it with, and I think there's other times that you don't. Some guys are just naturally fluid and efficient, and some guys are not. You're, it does have to go back, as Tony LaRusso said, how's he look? But it's, it's the eye test. It, mm-hmm. you, you can't just have that hard and fast rule, and I know teams do. Cardinals rarely have a guy go above 100 pitches or much beyond 100 pitches. No doubt. And that's just the way the game is now, right? Yeah. If this was a normal season and it was opening day, the, the answer would be he's out. Mm-hmm. So, but if you're treating this like opening day at a normal seat and it's anything but normal, he'd be out of the game and you're turning it over to your bullpen. Then the question would be who's in your, well, and here's the other thing. You're going to have 30 guys. You're going to have a ton of pitchers. Right. And so the, the, the easy answer would be, well, I'm going to turn it over to a fresh arm and I'm keeping Jack in there because we're not going with a six man rotation and we need to have him back out mm-hmm. there every fifth day. But it used to be here. And I, I forgot about this today. I, I would think under normal circumstances with the old rules, you have a bullpen of how many guys? If you have 16 guys on the staff, you've got a 13-man bullpen, right? So, no, that's not right. No, 12. 12. So you you used to be able to mix and match, but now guys have to face three hitters. That's the other thing. So you've got to have two guys that are mm-hmm. or three that are going to go against three hitters or end an inning. I, I'm not a fan of the three batter Me either at all. Minimum, it, it takes away good managing. Now there, I I did when when we started thinking about this in spring training. I do think there's managing though that goes along with it. I do think you have to think in along a different way. It, it is there is some mix and matching that you have to think about. 
But in general, I'm not a fan of that rule. I, I just I just don't like it. Well, I, I, I like the mixing and matching of this guy, this guy. Now I have to switch and go with this bat and think about this. And that means defensively, I may be less in myself or I'm strengthening myself, a pinch run. I mean, there's there's tons of combinations that you can think about with that. I gave Andrew Miller a lot of money to get out left-handed hitters. And I know he can do more. He's a, a leverage guy. But if I'm facing the Reds and I've got Votto... Suarez and Mustakis coming up. I don't want to face Suarez exactly. So, and I've got another lefty in my bullpen. So, I've got multiple lefties in my bullpen. So, I want to match up whoever, and I believe Miller is better against Vado. Then I'll bring a right-hander in to pitch Suarez, and then another left-hander in to pitch Mustakis. I think that's just fair. And yeah. that's the way you use strategy. Well, that's the beauty of the game. Yeah, that's taking the strategy out of the game. That's what I don't like about it, at least in my opinion. No, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, we, yeah. we, we are uh, syncopato on that. Is yeah. that an Italian word? Simpatico? Simpatico, yeah. Simpatico. Simpatico. Yeah. yeah. Sounds Italian. You're you getting just, tired, aren't you, Randy? These, you these mornings are hands. getting to you. Just say with your hands. Oh, yeah. Simpatico. Simpatico. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> I was listening to your Jason Stark interview. I could listen to that dude all day. He's great, isn't he? Love him. Uh, and he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. There's so many people I think about that have done so much for the Hall of Fame, and, and guys like that that have contributed to the game in that manner deserve to be in. No doubt. Yeah. By the way, a texter, uh, a 16-man staff means 11-man bullpen. That's right. Don't I was count- actually doing it with <laughs> yeah. my fingers. Don't yep. count on us for quality math. No. I think the bullpen for the Cardinals, as we speak on this Wednesday, is so fascinating because we, we don't know who's going to be um, – First of all, who's who's in camp and who's not? Like Reyes isn't here, Gallegos mm-hmm. isn't here. You know who's who's going to test positive? Who isn't? I mean, it's that every team is dealing with it. But as it pertains to the Cardinals right now, and you really haven't seen Carlos on the mound throwing live yet, so you don't know. Um, it's it's kind of fascinating where where all of baseball is yeah. at this point, and that's part of what the intrigue is. That's why we'll watch. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm getting, as we get closer, I'm happy that I'm not hearing more and more guys in the last 24 hours opt out. I thought we would hear more about it as maybe frustrations would build on the frustrating aspect of the testing that hasn't been as smooth, I'm sure, as Major League Baseball mm-hmm. would like and, and the players would like. And, you know... Um, that that's got to get smoother. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. It's just got to be better. It's got to be smooth. It's got to get a flow to it. And I'm sure it's going to yeah, be better. They, they've learned. So I th- yeah. I'm with you. What do we have coming up on scoops? Boy, that's your way of just getting me out of here. Well, Holy cow. Uh, I, I, want, I want you to have your allotted show, Dan. No, that means you must have a tea time or a haircut. Uh, no, we have a meeting. Mm-hmm. Oh, you have a meeting. Yeah, We're, we're going to talk about FanDuel. We're oh. all going to be doing FanDuel commercials this fall, and we've got a FanDuel meeting here. I got you, so we got to get out of here. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.